Combing the Stacks podcast, your go-to podcast for six decades of music, three albums at a time. Each decade, we cover over 200 albums spanning all musical genres and tastes, from the well-known acts to the cult favorites. Your tour guides on this journey are John, Josh, and Matt, three amateur music podcasters who all share a love of music and a shared quest to hear the next great album. And now, we head into the Stacks. August 25th, 2022, you're listening to the Combing the Stacks music podcast, your go-to music podcast for six decades of album reviews, music commentary, mirth, and everything else in between. (laughs) I am one of your hosts, three hosts, John, you have heard another one of my co-hosts right there, Josh, questioning whether or not mirth is a part of the package. Uh, as well as Matt, who has been the silent partner right there. I'll do a full check in a second. I do want to remind you, as always, that you can search for our show on 15 different podcast platforms, all the big ones, by searching for Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. You can also check out individual album reviews for everything, with the exception of last week's episodes, um, shows, uh, every album we've ever done is an individual YouTube clip. So we've got playlists. It's all kinds of fun. Spotify also has some Combing the Stacks music playlists from the albums that we've covered. So we ask you to check those out as well. Maybe follow us on any of those platforms or formats. All right. Enough of the advertising right there. That's as much advertising as we do. Josh, a man who cannot be bought or sold. How are you? 
I'm the man who sold the world. Mm, the but on the YouTube, you if you don't listen to the full episode, you don't get our infamous pre segments, do you? you no only get pre segments. You yep. only get the bios and the music reviews. No non-album context banter, Josh. Just okay. you know, just in the context of the banter. Oftentimes, we just start the segment, so like you have no <laughs> idea. Especially the cold list and hot takes. It's kind of like sometimes, it's like, all right, now and there's we're referring to stuff that came in other segments. So I'm sure it's an interesting listen for those that are there. But if you're a completist, a full episode, we do thank you because you get the full, the full recipe that mm-hmm. hopefully makes us semi-great. Um, speaking of folks that are semi-great, Matt, <laughs> how are you over there, bud? I'm good. I think we should actually, um, maybe we should put YouTube clips of the pre-show banter so that people can get the full experience if they want. I think that's Dude, a good I, idea. I could barely keep up with cutting those damn clips for the album. So like to do banter is just, to, we're going to have to hire an intern. or so. If you want to be the CTS intern, let me know and uh, we can work on that. Just how, down- how to- how does it down. pay, John? <laughs> Just poorly, <laughs> if at all. We, we'd have to. That's. We've always talked about when are we going to start doing those advertisements, right, for those god awful products that are on everything. I guess we could pay for an intern with that, but I think we'd we'd make a miserable amount of money for that. So I, I do like the idea of you reading an ad, like because they they tell you to like read an ad and they say you can either be creative about it or read like a script they prepare. Mm-hmm. And so like I. As I was listening the other day to one of my podcasts and, you know, they were talking about Manscaped and the Crop Duster. I just imagined, like, Matt reading a thing for, like, the Crop Duster and the Lawnmower 3000 trimming stuff. So, like, <laughs> oh, part of me wants to just do it for one week just to have Matt do that cold read for comic value. And then, yeah. We'll the best, do a fake uh, the best pot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The best podcaster that does that is Bill Burr because he, he just makes a joke out of everything. So it's yeah. like the one podcast that I will actually listen to the to the advertising because he just makes it. He just he makes fun of that he has and he also just inserts his own stuff in there. So, yeah, more people should do that because and it's also kind of sketchy that they don't tell us they want us to do ads, but they don't tell us what we would do and they don't tell us how much they would pay us. So we just have to say well, yes. Yeah. And You're acting like we've done fly. this, by the way. We've never done this. It's just a no, theoretical but I asked, ad read. No, but I asked you, like, what do they want to? What do they want to pay? What are they going to pay us? What do they want to ask to advertise? And you're like, yeah, I don't know yet. They haven't told us. So well, it's based it's on our reach. You know, it's like it's you know you have to. It's how many people listen to you, right? And return. Okay. And there's like a whole algorithm. So I've never explored. I know we're eligible for it because we have a certain amount of listens. Like, but you know, we're not like Joe Rogan. Penny, or, yeah. you know, per. We're definitely not like Joe a quarter Rogan. of a penny for like five <laughs> listeners. I'm just thinking, like, who are popular pot, right? Mark Marin, Joe Rogan, sure, sure. Uh, the the chick who don't call me daddy or whatever. Those people, and then there's us. We're like number hundred one thousand eight hundred forty five on your Spotify list. Number one sixty nine in niche music reviews of the 1980s from people in the United <laughs> States. You know what I mean? So, but one day I'll look up what our ratings are on one of these things and bring them in just because we're a humble sort. But anyway, we've kind of gone. That's the banter, right, that you don't get if you're just listening. There to it the is. Post. Classic banter. Correct. Well, we have some music videos to talk about tonight. Matt has some history. But as always, we like to bumper the albums we're covering this week. Josh, you want to tell the listeners what we're covering? Sure. First, we're going to finish out The Police with their final album, Synchronicity. Then we're going to go to a debut album, the Violent Femmes self-titled album, Violent Femmes. 
and then we are going to probably Bruce Springsteen's biggest album, Born in the USA. Yes, I would definitely say that probably sales-wise is oh, yeah, his biggest for sure. album. And I think uh, it should be Synchronicity is the album that we're going <laughs> okay. right there, right? Yeah. So I think we're going to go with that as the album title So because there's two of them on that. But Matt, I want to hear what is part of the historical canon for this date, August 25th, in the history of Western music. Let me know, Matt. Such is a history of where someone has been killed. Take it away. All right, so I don't think we're going to start with the Beatles. The Beatles are going to get the second slot today because I got something earlier than them. <laughs> oh, um, 60 years ago in 1962, Little Eva, or is it Eva? I'm not Little sure Eva. how. Little Eva. Went to number one on the U.S. singles chart with the Locomotion. Um, this we talked about. Everybody this was doing it, Matt. So yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this before in a previous uh, CTS episode. Do you remember uh, how Little Eva came to record the Locomotion? I don't. Do you remember who wrote the Locomotion? Yeah. Um... Not Phil Spector. I, nope. I do remember us talking about it, but yeah. It's, it was Carol King and Jerry Goffin. Carol King, that's oh, right. Yep. Okay. The, 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 what's the, the Brill Street building, right? Yes. yes. Brill building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they got little Ava to, Ava to sing it because she was their babysitter. Jeez. <laughs> remember us talking about that? She yeah. was the babysitter, and they, I guess they heard her singing, so they were like, they, like, you should record this. So that's how she came we, to record it. I think we talked about that on the Tapestry uh episode right it's possible yeah yeah it would have to be i would think yeah the carol king history and whatnot yep i know we talked about her quite a bit on that monkeys episode in season one too because she was a um, pleasant valley sunday too Mm -hmm. about the life in the uh in the suburbs that they that she and her husband love so much um uh, 57 years ago 1965 the, this is a Beatles uh, story kind of this was just interesting two female Beatles fans hired a helicopter to fly over the house that the band were rent was renting in Beverly Hills and jumped from the helicopter into the swimming pool whoa how from how high up I don't know I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get that detail I, I would assume not that high up but yeah. uh, the ladies loved the uh, the Beatles back in the day um 55 years ago, 1967, Brian Wilson returned to performing live with the Beach Boys in Honolulu after a two-year hiatus, and that was right around the time that the, the band released the Heroes, Heroes and Villains in the U.S. Um, that was a song, right? Not an album. It was Heroes, yes. right? Yeah, that right. was on Smile, wasn't it? Right, yes. Yeah. And we did cover that? No. We did. In a, Smiley we, Smile. Oh, we did smile. No, right. we, we did. did the yeah, smile. it was weird. We did it in the '60s, <laughs> yeah. but it was actually released finally in like in 2003 or something. Like, yeah, 2005, maybe somewhere around yeah. there. And then there was Smiley Smile, which was the original, but we did right. Really That's the, right. The fully formed, yeah. Uh, 52 years ago, in 1970, Elton John made his U.S. live debut when he kicked off a 17-date tour at the Troubadour in L.A. Um, so, Elton John mm-hmm. starting it all off. Live performance. Uh, If I remember right, that's he got famous here, right, and then translated over to the UK. Is that what happened? I don't remember that. You did his bio, Josh, so you would know. Yeah, Yeah, let's say that's right. Let's go with that. Sure. (laughs) Hey, we got a Bruce. We got a Bruce Springsteen stat here. Seventy, nineteen seventy-five, forty-seven years ago, Springsteen released his third studio album, Born to Run. So that turns forty-seven today. 
Um, what episode did we cover that on? I can't remember. That I'm was look somewhere in the uh, 1970s, Josh. Season two is where yep. I would start your search. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. Uh, keep talking. Okay. Oh, I got it. Episode 22. There you go. All right. Uh, 25 years ago in 1997, uh, I don't have the name of this person. I just saw a deranged man who had escaped from a mental institution near Helsinki, Finland, was arrested for planning to set fire to the stage that Michael Jackson was performing from. Um, Thankfully, he was arrested before he was able to light the gasoline he had put on the stage. Whoa. Yeah. Michael Jackson has a fraught history with fire, doesn't he? Wasn't there a Pepsi commercial that he... Yeah, where he got hurt pretty severely. Yeah, like his hair, I think. Yep. And I don't know if you guys ever seen uh, or have had, had seen hair burn. It burns very quickly and it also stinks. So try not to get your hair caught on fire. Just safety tip there. Got it. 13 years ago, Bob Dylan revealed <laughs> during his weekly radio show. Uh, this was back. You in have to do this as Bob Dylan. Matt, in 2009. <laughs> I am not doing that. I can't no? do it justice. Oh, no, no, that's your you do that with Springsteen. I can't I can't steal your thunder there. Um, okay. But he he revealed on his weekly radio show that he was uh, speaking to a number of car companies about becoming the voice of their satellite GPS navigation system. Um, (laughs) So Bob Dylan is your GPS? You need to come around, right? So he said... (laughs) At the Costco, on the corner, on the boulevard. Could you just imagine him? Just, yeah. Oh, God. He said that... You could say country Bob Dylan or, like, inaudible, like, 70s Bob Dylan, where he just sounds like a bunch of sound. Drug-addled Dylan. Um, He said that he thought it would be good for drivers to hear him saying things such as, take a left at the next street. No, a right. You know what? Just go straight. (laughs) What? Uh, 500 feet. Is there there religious religious imagery as well? Wait, did he? hundred feet, you can see a bastion of the, the, the beacon on the hill with, you know, just, oh, yeah, turn right. What about so? When did he have a re- weekly radio show? Oh, he What's uh, that about? He, he did a weekly. Uh, he might still do it. I know he had a, a radio show in Sirius XM. Oh, okay. So Dylan does. Yeah, he he does. Like, he's a DJ. Does he just play music? Uh, and he talks about it too. He talks about okay. the songs, and you know, of course, he's playing. He plays a variety of things. Um, mm. I don't know if he still does it because occasionally you'll hear the show, but it's one of those things that. You know, they'll go back to the archives and Play replay a show that he did before. They do that. Tom Petty obviously still hosts his radio show, but it's just oh. obviously, uh, you know, episodes from the past that they're resurfacing. Interesting. So, I'm also but just I think- thinking of uh, the closer you get to your turn or something, Bob Dylan go into like his more urgent voice. You know what I mean? Like, or if you, or if, you, if, you if you miss it, like, <laughs> miss hey, it, yeah. look at you turn. <laughs> Around the car, you going too far. <laughs> I think Sorry. Snoop did Snoop did his voice on that. You can I think you could gotten the Snoop Dogg uh, GPS. Snoop makes sense though, because he'll just easy it. I just I just thought the idea yeah. for some reason of you missing your turn and Bob Dylan getting alarmed and going into like when he's really getting emotional just cracked me up for some yeah. reason. So, yeah. Uh, Sorry. What if eight you years different... ago. Go ahead, Josh. So what if you had different artists depending on what state you were in? So when you transitioned and played artists from that state. Like if you arrive somewhere, you get like David Lee Roth, like, all right. You know, like, or like Paul Stanley, like, all yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah what oh, you get? Man. Sounds yeah. great. We, we could make a mint of money off of this. Say, copyright this, Josh. I will. Mm-hmm. You got to get everybody on board. Mm. 
Yep. Uh, eight years ago in 2014, Led Zeppelin's "Whole Lot of Love" was. This is another great one. Every now and then, you see these 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 uh, votes that somebody oh, you know yeah these random conducts. articles that you find. yeah but but led zeppelin's whole lot of love was voted the greatest guitar riff of all time by <laughs> listeners of bbc radio 2 in the uk it's always in the uk too it is they like their they like, like their polls people listening to that it's a good riff <laughs> it's a good riff yeah for um, sure number uh coming in second was sweet child of mine by guns and roses uh, Second all-time guitar riff. Guitar riff, yeah. I don't think I, that's. I don't consider that. I would assume is that it, they're talking about the intro guitar, yeah. like mm-hmm. notes. That to me is not a riff. A riff is well, is more chord driven. It's a fuller so sound as opposed that's to a the good notes. Question. Like what's our like? My answer is always "Smoke on the Water" by Deep Purple. Is now that came in. Fact that that was uh, tied with "Back in Black" for number okay. three, John. Oh wow! So that, that worked out well. But, but yeah, I, I guess that's my answer. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is. I would consider that to be a, a riff too. I don't know. It's something about the sweet child of mine. I don't. I don't know. Riff. I, I, that doesn't. I, I don't the use the word stones. riff. The Stones have a couple of big ones. Satisfaction. Yeah. Bitch. Those are like big time. Miss you. Those are there's, big. There's some good riffs, riffs this week on the show. Mm-hmm. I would say too. Yeah. For sure. Uh, four years ago, happy anniversary to Neil Young and Daryl Hannah. They got married four years ago in 2018. Um, and, You're never uh, too old for love, Matt. Yeah, it was Young's third marriage and Daryl Hannah's first. Wow. Holding right out for a hero. She sure was. <laughs> <laughs> and we have, a, we have a trifecta of birthdays today, guys. Uh, oh. It's a big day today. Uh, speaking of Kiss, happy birthday, Gene Simmons, turning 73 oh. years old today. 73, wow. Yep. Uh, God of born, born, in, born in 1949. Um, born in 1951, turning 71 years old today. Uh, this is Rob Halford, Judas Priest, oh, Judas Rob Priest. Halford, nice. and rounding it out, turning 68, born in 1954, Elvis Costello, who is not wow. American. Yeah, <laughs> that's British. true. We that was one of that. my, that, that is my second biggest error on the show outside of getting my words twisted and talking about a Nina Simone song as a love song oh, that was actually strange. about racism and rape. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I screwed up the song titles. Ago. That was probably my lowest moment on CTS. I, I attribute it to my youth and inexperience. So, mm. But yeah, the Elvis Costello thing was pretty bad, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah. But there we corrected go. it. That's the important thing. Yeah. I think it was corrected in the episode, too. So, mm. No, it was yeah. corrected by your brother, I believe. And uh, I oh. think that the Nina Simone thing was definitely corrected in the episode because I realized it as I was saying it. I was like, oh, that's really bad. That strange fruit is definitely not about that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So. And that's your history lesson for today, boys and girls. Great. I Thanks, love Matt. it. Well, now we've had me talk. We've had Matt talk. It's only fair that Josh lead a segment here. Josh, tell, tell the folks what you're going to be talking about here. Yes, sir. This week, it's Internet Killed the Video Star, the segment where I pick three videos from the year that we're discussing, which would be 1983 this week. And then we talk about what we liked about the videos, if there's any sort of context or historical importance to them, basically just as a way to... Um, add some spice and reinforce the importance of music videos in the 80s. So, you might think that I would pick Michael Jackson's Thriller or Billie Jean because they both came out in 83, but I said no. We are picking the following videos. The, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Flashdance, What a Feeling by Irene Cara. 
Sweet Dreams are made of this or made of these by Eurythmics and Herbie Hancock's Rocket. So let's start with Flashdance What a Feeling. And I picked this video. Well, let's describe the video first. It's basically a promotional <laughs> tool for the movie yeah. Flashdance. <laughs> can we do one conversation before you describe this? Can we yes, just get on it. the record here? And can we go full like toxic masculinity on the Jennifer Beals, are we on the like where are we on the like eighties Fox scale right now? Like high value, like solid middle of the road, like don't see the appeal. Where, where do we stand on that? Because I've got strong strong opinions on this. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm pro, don't go, I'm pro, don't I'm go pro too Jennifer Beals. So okay, you're pro Jennifer Beals. Yeah, I gotta say, guys, I'm not even sure. I've never seen Flashdance. I don't know who Jennifer Beals is. She's so, the lead in Flashdance. Right, so. I figured that, but I've will never you seen it. Just, will you <laughs> describe her in a way, Josh, that's not objective, objective, but also gives enough detail that Matt can... There's no uh, way you're going to describe... Okay, I'm gonna, let me just look. You guys start. I'll look her up, okay? Because I yeah, don't know. Okay. So I, I, we should point out... Okay. <laughs> let me see. How do I start this? So I threw you off, didn't I? Uh, Flashdance, what a feeling. It's The video itself is a collection of clips from the movie put together actually by the director of the movie adrian line and it is essentially a promotional tool for the movie now the movie was a, a unexpected hit paramount did not expect it to do well but it it was very popular and not only was the movie popular but the soundtrack to the movie was extremely popular and that's another reason i picked uh this video because this song was a huge hit of 83 and not one that we're talking about obviously because it wasn't on an album other than the soundtrack for the album but it was one of the uh, it was number three on the hot 100 for for 83 of all the singles is it for the is year. it the highest charting because there's another song that i imagine was massively high on that list too right maniac uh it was it was higher than maniac for okay. 83 um maniac was number eight by michael sembello and the uh, you know the video itself. Well, let's let's hear your thoughts. I've got some other things of why I picked the video. But what did you think about watching the video? Did you ask why did Josh pick this video? Because <laughs> I could see that happening. I have I have a guess how John felt when he watched the video based on <laughs> yes. this intro. I mm. think it would be rock hard. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a gentleman. I I'll, I'll I'll let Matt go first, and then I'll add my um, two cents. Yes, go ahead, Matt. So I will say that uh, I just I just looked. I, yeah, she doesn't really look familiar. She also looks like one of those actresses that looks like she got more attractive as she got older. She is um, still acting, by the way. Yeah. Okay. I also completely disagree with that. Like, not that she didn't get attractive as she got older, but I think you're selling her short. I, you most of the pictures that come up when you do the search, uh, they appear to be more recent. Um, so there's only a couple up there from the 80, from 80. So uh I don't know. Uh, so I, I don't know. I defer to you, John. You apparently are the expert on that. So, uh, I mean, this, yeah, the video was, I, I was kind of, um, you know, thinking, yeah, I have no idea what this movie's about. It seems like it kind of takes place in a strip club. Um, mm -hmm. And other parts, it seems like she's in a dance studio trying to make it as a dancer. She's doing all kinds of crazy uh, you know, it dances like flying in the air to, you know, like launching in the air, like Superman style to like yeah. land on her head and do a, do a bar barrel roll, mm -hmm. like tumbling over on the, on the floor and then break dancing and stuff. So, um, there's, there's the famous scene where she's getting splashed with a bunch of, uh, 
water and then beating mm-hmm. the chair, the, the water sp- splashing up and whatnot. So it's very 80s. Uh, the, the, I, I will say all the songs this week are very, very in the realm of the 80s sound. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, it was entertaining. I don't, I don't know if it made me want to go see the movie. I did look it up. A little later, it's like, yeah, I have no idea about this movie. And it gets a whopping 35% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So it doesn't seem like it did well on the critical front. But we know sometimes the critics don't know what they're talking about. Um, but I, 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 have, I haven't seen it. Um, I can't say that this video made me want to go see it. But uh, it was a, uh, yeah, it's a three-minute video. It was good. It did its thing, you know. So... Yeah, basically recaps the movie in its entirety. Is that really? That was <laughs> I mean, plot? yeah, you pretty yeah. much have watched the movie when you watch this. Jo- yeah, back, okay. So you've, you've seen Flash, because I've seen Flash. This is basically the movie in four minutes yes. encapsulized. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. guy at the end just comes out, and I'm like, where was that guy? Like, I never would see a main character or something, the guy that she's kissing by the car at the end. Like, he didn't really make much of it. Yeah. Oh, the, 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 love, except the, end. the love interest? It's not a very yeah. believable love interest for her either, I've always felt. He mm. kind of seems like... You know, I, I just never felt they, like, really looked the part, so to speak. But I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's that's the thing, Josh. It's it's when you picked it, I was like, this is interesting because I remember this video just basically being like a four minute clip of the movie, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, it's been so long since I've seen it, and I was like, oh, you know, Jennifer Beals, I always think of as like that period, like eighty three, eighty four maybe more so than any point has the most amount of women I think of as being like 80s heartthrob types, like all at one time. Like you've got like young Madonna, uh, maybe not heartthrob, like Cindy Lauper we talked about last week is a very distinctive female character. Like the, the flash dance, you know, is mm-hmm. such a, a part. There's just a lot of people that sort of fit into that. Like we're recreating like the sex symbol as sort of like a strong, you know, more athletic, independent woman, you know what I mean? But also sexy. You know, and that's kind of what I remember her character in this being, right? Kind of like a free spirit, you know. Steel you know, mill a, worker by steel day. Steel mill by day. And then by yeah, night. Exotic dancer by night, yes. And then, yes. you know, she, I remember a scene, I think it's even in this, where, like, she goes with the love interest to, like, this fancy restaurant and, like, ties a straw, I think, with her tongue or whatever. Yes, and then I think that takes something on a dicky. Like, she had something like a <laughs> yes. dicky of some sort. And it's, like, just completely incomprehensible. But, yeah, I remember seeing bits and pieces of it in the video this time. And it's just... And, yeah, the, the epic scene with the water coming down and um, the, the, the 80s, like, jazzercise stuff, the, the, the foot, the, the leggings, you know what I mean? They have the feet at the end. There's a very 80s look, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's like a... I, you know, it's kind of Flashdance is one of the. It's like a soundtrack in search of a movie with a not insignificant amount of like sex appeal to it. It's like a date movie, right? Like women yep. like the story, and men kind of are like, "Oh, there's some hot chicks in here," right? Like yeah. hot chick, yeah. And that's kind of I think that was an '80s staple, right? Yes, cre- I mean, uh, culturally, it, it uh, popularized the uh, sweatshirt without the collar over the shoulder, yeah. the leg mm-hmm. warmers trend, yep. and uh, Adrian Lyne, the director's is famous for other movies such as uh, Indecent Proposal and and um, Nine and a Half Weeks, other other sexual he certainly has a erotic theme. thrillers. Yeah. Um, wow, <laughs> so. yeah, that's 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 all I think of with those three movies. I would also I would also point out that Maureen Jahan was Jennifer Beals' uh, body double for all the dancing, so Jennifer Beals didn't actually do the dancing in the movie. And um, I also uh, picked this because of the importance or the popularization of integrating pop songs into movies or making songs specifically for movies. The 80s was 
was basically where that started. When you think about um, famous movies of the 80s, they almost all have a song associated with them. You know, examples would be not only Flashdance, but Ghostbusters, Footloose, Beverly Hills Cop, Back to the Future, Top Gun. You, th- you think of songs as much as you think of the movie itself. Um, this, this video was actually kind of a response from Paramount for um, the popular popularity of the movie, and they really pushed MTV um, to sell this movie and uh, promote it in this way. So it's also um, the soundtrack was underproduced when it came out, so that was another, they were rushing to try and fill the popularity of that, and the um, uh, the idea that movie uh, that music videos could be a way to uh, be a promo tool or an advertising tool for for um, a movie. So I think that's that's also another reason why I picked it. So, John, you're but, looking up something over there. He's clicking. He's clicking away. Um, I am. I am not. I was not on. Somebody was clicking. Somebody's clicking <laughs> okay. and typing. Yeah. Um, I and I also looked up here the soundtrack. I don't. I recognize Maniac, and that's yes. it. And there's also like a the Donna Summer's got a song on here. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not familiar with that either. Uh, Jennifer Beals also, she's got a, you're right, Josh, she's acting in a ton of stuff still. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've seen very few of her, the things that she's in, which explains why I don't know who she is really. So, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll check out Flashdance. I don't know for, as a, as a cultural type. It's one of those things that's like, I've always like the, the movie picture, very famous, that scene with the water splashing, very famous. Um, I even think I've seen the video for Maniac a few times, like, but, uh, but yeah, it's like never saw it or knew anybody that had it had it on or anything like that. So I, really? I don't think I've ever seen any. I've never seen any scenes from it that, to my knowledge, except for not like, even what, Tommy Boy. Well, that's not from. The, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that you know, but uh, that's not from. That's not actually Flashdance. So, yeah. Gotcha. All right, let's move on to uh, Eurythmics and Sweet Dreams Are Made in This. Or these, as they pronounce it in the in the song. Who's going to oh, recap English. that one? I think that's a, that's Matt, right? Gets it? Oh, I thought I had Herbie Hancock. All right, I'll talk about it. There's cows in this video for some reason. They're <laughs> yes. um, like at a cow pasture, and uh, you know you've got uh, it's um, so it's Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. I think that's mm-hmm. the guy. Not the pit. Wasn't he a pitcher for the Athletics too? He was, yeah. Was a, yeah. Uh, but not that. The musician, Dave Stewart, is uh, plugging away, t- typing away at a computer, uh, o- almost uh, like like that's the keyboards he's playing. So when you hear the keyboard playing, like he's typing away on a computer. Uh, mm-hmm. Old school, I don't know, was that a Commodore? Something like that? It's, yeah, uh, some sort of early computer. Some sort of early computer. And uh, Annie Lennox has the short hair, the short red hair. And um, there's, yeah, there's like, it's one of the, it reminded me of one of those things where, the director or the band or somebody was just like having, Hey, there's this thing we can do in in videos. We can basically do whatever we want and have it make no sense. So let's, Hey, I know a guy that's got a cow pasture. Let's just go there because why not? It has nothing to do with What feelings did it evoke for you, Matt? Like the cow pasture, did it, Confusion. Okay. No, it's just weird. Like, like there are parts of the video where she's kind of like standing in a classroom or something. There's like a Mm -hmm. projector and there's like, you know, she's kind of, 
it's almost like she's got this, I don't know, like a whip or something that she's just smacking in her hand. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like, okay, she's like dressing down a class or something like that. It's like, okay, whatever. And then like, yeah, then the cows just didn't make any sense. But uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things where you just go, all right, people are just throwing things in videos because why not? It's like, you know, it's like the, it's like what Guns N' Roses did with, uh, you know, Estrange. It's like, oh, can I just jump off a, you know, an aircraft carrier? Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, let's just do that. So um, they did a lot of things because they could. So Except, Matt, your, your, the reveal at the end was that the music video was a dream by Annie Lennox. So that explains the cows because anything can happen in dreams. Is that so. where was the what was the reveal? I just the last thing that they were walking in the cow pasture, wasn't it? Did she? No, she w- she was in bed and she woke up and there was a book next to the table called "Sweet yeah. Dreams Are Made of." The oh, I did see that. Yeah, that's true. Also, everyone was blindfolded with like yes. the equivalent. Oh of yeah, and they were masks, playing. The, so you didn't catch that that whole were, motif, Matt. They were playing the cello, and uh, there's no cello in the song. Mm-hmm. They made yeah. it seem like he was playing. <laughs> yes. the, you know, like oh, the here's the cello too. parts, but there's no cello there. So, including a wonderful scene where he just starts swinging in a field with the cello, which yep. yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed. Yes. What'd you think of the video, John? Any memories like, it's, seeing this? It's, you know, it's overused word, but it's an iconic video. I mean, I the there's just certain videos that I listen to, and you know, we're gonna talk rock in a second. That like you, I think of visuals from it when it's there. Yep. Like in this case, it's that like. Um, the, the smoke, almost smoky pasture mixed with the jarring uh, visual of Annie Lennox with the red short hair, right? Yep. And I think the juxtaposition, I remember it being one of the first videos that looked very visually stunning mm-hmm. and the color um, really stood out to me when I was a kid because at that point, a lot of the videos sort of did not look vibrant in terms of like how they were shot. So I always thought it was like, it seemed like it had a better budget than most of the videos at the time. Did you get any info about that? Uh, not on the budget, but I, I agree. I think she has such a distinct kind of intense look, not only the red hair, but, you know, it purposefully androgynous and, and the right. uh, black black outfit with the black eyeliner well, really most kind of, the of videos, highlights things. Most of the video is black and white, if you notice, mm-hmm. but then you have the colors that come in are particularly vibrant. Like she's got red, bright red lipstick and orange hair. The sky is very blue and the grass is very green. And then, like, everything else is black and white. I think that's why they picked the cows, right? Because they're mm-hmm. black. And, and I, it seems like there was a clear choice made to um, differentiate the black and white motif with, like, the vivid color. I mean, that's what always sticks out to me about this video. Mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. noticed some in- uh, interesting transitions. Like, they would have the video within the screens or at one point they're meditating and yeah. she has the dot on her forehead and uh, it zooms in on that and brings you to another scene so i thought there's a like screens within screens um within the dream which i thought was interesting so they're getting creative yeah she like controls the dream i think you that's the thing when you kind of realize that you know she's the dreamer right and Mm -hmm. so she's kind of like this lady boss you know in a suit androgynous but i think the idea is she's in charge uh, of the video is how i always read the video to be like lucid lucid dreaming maybe exactly and it's also it's got a lot of those 80s fade like cuts where it's still in the frame and then it slowly, slowly trickles mm-hmm. into another frame, but doesn't sometimes doesn't go all the way there and sometimes fades out into it. I forget what that effect is called, but it's all over this video, which also gives a little bit of a hazy dreaming feel as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. I think it accomplished what it was set out setting out to do. And, yeah, uh, good video. Such a uh, good song, good video. So mm-hmm. lastly, we've got Herbie Hancock's Rocket. 
I had actually never seen this video before, so really? I, was, I was greatly amused by it. <laughs> and uh, this is one of the videos of early MTV, right? Yeah, here. yeah, exactly. And um, John, you want you want to describe this one? Sure. Yeah, I remember this video when MTV would do like top 100 videos ever made. I think the first time I ever saw it was like in 1988 or 89 around there, and I think this video was top five at that time. I, mm. I know Thriller was one and. This may have even been as high as two. You know, it's definitely very high um, on the chart. Uh, yeah. So how I describe this? First of all, this song has no lyrics. So anybody who hasn't heard <laughs> yes. it before, it's it's very heavily influenced by electronic music, but especially in the motif of like craftwork type electronic music. Mm-hmm. I think we even talked about that in um, we did Headhunters by Herbie Hancock way back when. But yeah, that's kind the of 70s. the motif here. Yeah. So. That's important to know because it's a very like motorized, you know, electronic type feel. So it starts at what looks to be sort of like a housing project, I'd say, or apartment. You just kind of come into it. And then it's it's clad in what I would call late 70s, early 80s sort of motif within said apartment. And the idea behind the entire video is that there are a variety of mannequins doing things from the scandalous to the mundane, like pouring toothpaste and, you know, sleeping, getting up and moving the chair, parading across the, <laughs> there's all kinds of different things, but yes. it's Walking. all stop, yep. it's all stop motion. So what's happening is as the sound is going and the scratching on the turntable is going, electronic sounds, the, these different pairs of legs and sort of human automatrons are stop motioning to the beat or what's going on in the song so it, it seems like just a whole bunch of stuff is wound up at times stuff is in isolation at times things are going multiple of these legs slash mannequin-esque type mm-hmm. devices electronic devices are going at the same time it's often built on how complicated the song is at the time so what's happening in the video the the more stuff that's going on in the sound and the sonic landscape the more is going on in the video it really is an incredibly clever video especially for the time that it came out and it's the type of video that if you haven't seen i would say pause right now watch it before we finish it because you kind of have to see it to get a true appreciation for it um but yeah, always love this one, and the song's very cool too. Yeah, I I mean the the song is is kind of you know that first part where it goes it's always in my head, um, and I've heard it. I think it's sampled too, probably from other in in rap videos. But it's not uh, just a slight correction, John. It's not stop motion because that would imply some sort of animation. Oh, yeah. I think it's just I think it's just edited to okay have them move. In, in jerky motion with the with the the table scratch or the DJ scratching that takes place um, in the song the uh, I agree though I really liked this video I thought it was very inventive with the mannequins and the robots um, robotic uh, nature of the different um, people I guess or <laughs> entities and uh, you know they have the the bird that often like vibrates yeah. outside the window and <laughs> violently uh, spasming i would say yes. plenty of things are doing yeah uh, I, I mean spasming is a perfect word for pretty much anything that moves in this video but um i thought it was a well edited to the music um i think mtv agreed because it won five mtv video music awards in 1984 and uh it also i thought 
an interesting coincidence that was not until I looked after the fact. Uh, this video is directed by Godly and Cream, who uh, were kind of famous for lots of different videos, but they also directed Every Breath You Cry, Take. Cry, right? Isn't that the big video by them? Godly and Cream Cry? Uh, did I see that one? I don't, I don't know. Let me. I can double check that. But they directed Every it's... Breath You Take, Synchronicity 2, and Wrapped okay. Around Your Finger from that oh, album wow. that we talked about this week. I always remember Godly and Cream because I saw it, and it's got this very famous jump cut at the end where you think it's over, and then it's like, ha, and then it stops, and you think it's over, and it's ha. And I remember Beavis and Butthead had a very like famous thing where they think it's like, thank God it's over. And then like, he goes like, ha, and Beavis is like, ah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, they, they think it's over again, and he's like, ha, and like, he goes, ha stop it you know what i mean like so i always remember that anyway so <laughs> matt what did you think of the video had you seen I, it before I, I had never seen it before either um and i barely wow. recognized the song itself um i think i remember i think they reused it in the wedding singer at one point when i i i, I might have been another movie but i remember that that keyboard part that you had mentioned josh being played mm-hmm. in a movie or a, a scene from something but uh yeah this was there was a lot of legs, a lot of torsos, not just mannequins, but they're all <laughs> yes. broken apart and they're kind of, you know, disfigured. And, you know, some of them have, you know, animal heads and uh, and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was um, it was interesting. It definitely seemed it was very creative. It, does, it doesn't surprise me that it was, you know, up for awards or, you know, in the top rankings of videos. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I kind of feel weird not knowing the video because I – I was watching a lot of MTV as a kid, and uh, I do remember seeing those countdowns and seeing like Thriller always being in the, being in the top, and uh, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits was another one that was always very highly regarded as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Take on Me was always high on that. Yeah, right. That was a big one. Um, so yeah, so that was so that was kind of new, but it's uh, yeah, I think it's one of the cool things about videos. It's just like this other artistic you know form that you can you know put alongside a, a song and have it have a totally different meaning or you, you know, it can ev- evoke different um, uh, thoughts or feelings from people that might be more, you know, it, it's one of those things where people like say things like I'm more familiar with the video or I can't think of that song without thinking of the video, you know, right. so it just speaks to the power of that. Uh, I, I just don't remember ever seeing it. So I just, I don't know why, but um, I'm sure that, if I had it, it would have it would have probably jumped out to me because it was yeah it's very creative and uh, artistic uh, and uh, yeah it's kind of cool right I just I you know it, I, I like the uh, the videos definitely added a lot to uh, to the music scene and um, yeah there were times as a kid I would just sit and, and just let me just watch videos for you know I know right an hour and a half or that was just what I that was like watching a <laughs> TV was, yeah, show you that know? was an activity it um, sure was for sure you know so uh, and it just it, it happens it still happens I mean obviously artists are still making videos but it's just in a different format and uh, you get it from different different places so uh, so yeah it was cool um, and I yeah never saw it either man also yeah, you, early hip hop sound on this I should mention uh, I was thinking like that too John as, yes. yes yeah, yeah definitely as close has, as we've gotten to hip hop yeah. so far yes um, that was another reason Blondie's rap, you know what I mean? Debbie Harry's <laughs> rap, you know, where that's, this is though the first thing that sounds like, it sounds like 80s hip hop. Yeah, time. I agree. Yeah, especially Matt, to your point, when, when a song is instrumental, the possibilities are pretty much endless as to how you could interpret a, a music right. video and what you would put to it. So, Because this, yeah. this was 83, right? Yep. 
Mm-hmm. So hip hop in '83, we you know Grandmaster Flash and stuff was like '79, Sugar Hill Gang '79, '80, right? '91, like '80, '81 is like Curtis Blow, like the breaks and like basketball is there. So you know Africa Bambada, like that's what this is kind of. So we're at like primordial New York hip hop is like where we're yep. at right now. Like get get to a house party and an MC and a DJ like that type, and that's what this sounds like a little bit, at least in terms of the scratching on the turntable which is mm-hmm. prominent right so yeah well worth listening if you want to hear a Chrissy a great video and um, and it's another thing that happened in the 80s a lot where like an older artist kind of got reinvented with the music video which was something that would happen a fair amount you know and it was odd who became like I always think the guy I always think of is like Tom Petty became like the most unusual like video like video guy you know because in no way did he seem like a guy that would benefit from videos but he's got at least four or five huge ones that i remember from the 80s like and very unusual all of them too yeah really cat really capitalized on on the the cars another one I was, not I, traditionally attractive but figured i always out. wonder too for bands or musicians with videos where the ideas came from, like, are the, you know, and it probably varied from band, you know, maybe one band or some member of the band was very instrumental. I have this vision. This is what I want the video to be like versus, I don't know, somebody in the record company or a manager well, they hired or directors. a producer. Right. No, I know they hire directors, but like somebody's got to come up with the main concept of the out of the uh, video. And I'm just wondering, generally speaking, was it more likely to come from the artist? Was it more likely just giving free reign to a director? Did it vary? You know, I just, I, never right. knew that like was tom petty the one saying this is what i want the video for don't come around here no more to be or yeah. you know you got lucky like this is the vision i have or was it somebody else um yeah never quite sure about that yeah good question i think uh it's well, probably a combination 90s, yeah. by the 90s mtv was putting the director on the music videos so that leads me to believe that yeah while it's collaborative you know the some of the ideas at least for the I would imagine a, a good amount come from, mm-hmm. you know, and you have guys, like I can still think of guys in the late eighties, early nineties that, you know, Mark Romanek comes to mind, right? Like a guy who directed like a ton of videos, uh, sure. David Fincher, right? Yes. Was a guy that before he did it, did a ton of videos. Yep. Got to Mar- start uh, doing music videos. Was yeah. it Mark Williamson? I think was the guy's name. I think he did like Jeremy and stuff like that. So, you know, Mick G, Spike Jones, mm-hmm. there's, there's a not insignificant amount of very famous, uh, people. Right, that, that started out as, as video directors. For sure. Uh, Hype Williams is another guy I always remember. Was it? Yeah, so. Yep. And yeah, just to, you were right, John. Godly and Cream did Cry mm-hmm. slash History Mix 1 in 1985. Yeah, that was always high on the, um, the list of videos early on, too, because it's just a series of faces blending into each other. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah, fam- similar to uh, the Michael Jackson video, right? Black or white, right, yeah, but it's the, the proto, black or white, yep. exactly, yep. All right. There you go. All right, let's, uh, I think it's time to, you know, with all those uh, helicopters or f- planes that are flying overhead that I hear, it's time for the police and uh, <laughs> synchronicity. Good I haven't heard, I haven't heard, play- I'm guessing it's, it's in Matt's neck of the woods. <laughs> it is but... not mine. It was one of you guys. Wow, okay, well. There's all kinds of sounds on them. Hopefully it's not my... Anyway, we are at Synchronicity by The Police, the fifth and final album by The Police we have covered in previous episodes. 
Um, and I'm, don't worry, I'm going to run the numbers and everything else, guys. But in other episodes, we have covered Zenyatta Mandata and Ghost in the Machine, albums three and four. Uh, we did not cover uh, Regatta de Blanc and Outlandos de Amor, the earlier albums, but feel free to check those out. In the montage, you would have heard King of Pain, and now you're going to hear a little bit of Synchronicity 2. Could you run the numbers for us, please? Sure. So Synchronicity comes in at number 42 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number four in 1983, number 333 of all time. It is the police's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. It comes in at number 159 in Rolling Stones list. And again, the police ranked 171 of all time artists in Best Ever Albums. So, hmm. um, And it's the last time we are covering the police. There you go. So we're not covering solo sting, right? I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. So, um, yeah, this is going to be it for a while then. So, uh, we've covered the police before in bio form, but also let me kind of, um, give a little bit of where we're at in the career. So in ghost in the machine comes out in 82, uh, 81, 82, the, the band goes on the ghost in the machine tour, which is an epic tour. Uh, the police, even in their good times, didn't always get along with each other. This is when, you know, you can see all kinds of videos of the police publicly fighting with each other. And I mean, not joking, ghost, like, it kind of starts sometimes with them joking around, then it gets to the point where you know they're <laughs> taking the piss out of each other in a way that they're angry, right? And there's no insignificant amount of clips, but there's definite creative tension, shall we say, right here. And where it really gets big is here after 82 and they end the tour, they each decide to pursue outside projects, okay, and take mm -hmm. a sabbatical. So Sting is kind of, you know, he'll eventually get to his solo career, but at this point he's very much into acting. Uh, I think we talked about this before, but in 79 he had acted in Quadrophenia, uh, which was an adaption of The Who album mm -hmm. that we've covered. Um, and he was also in a couple other movies, most notably uh, Radio On, uh, and Brimstone and Treckle <laughs> as well. Treacle? So, treacle, treacle, there you go. Brimstone yeah. and Treacle, I apologize. So I, I, uh, I have never seen it before. So, um, I, Nor I, have I. I, I broke my, my rule of uh, when I don't know how to say something, getting it found it out. So Josh, thanks for cleaning that stack for you. Um, Sting is writing some of his own uh, songs as well. Andy Summers uh, recorded his first album with Robert Fripp, who is at this point, he's got to be a CTS Hall of Famer, right? Because he's just everywhere but this album is called i advance masked which <laughs> is a funny name for an album uh and stuart copeland did the musical score josh you ever seen the movie Rumblefish before uh surprisingly no but it's by francis for coppola you are 100 percent correct i was gonna ask you if you knew this yes so he did the musical score for Rumblefish from francis for coppola 
And then uh, he also had an album that he did with uh, Stan Ridgway of the band Wall of Voodoo. Do you guys know their big hit? I do, but I wonder if you guys do. No, I don't. I want a Mexican radio. Oh, yeah, I know that song. Yeah, Yeah, that's Wall of Voodoo. So, yeah, when I saw that, I chuckled because that's... Wall of Voodoo? Wall of Voodoo. Yeah, they're an IRS record band. I remember that I had a Best of IRS Records wonderful eclectic compilation and that was on there but uh so he creates an album with him he uh we also as we get into 83 sting and Stuart copeland in particular are just they're not getting along well at all uh on top of it sting is in dune a pretty big movie oh, yeah. David lynch movie yep and both summers and sting's marriages fail and uh, I think most people know that Sting's been married for forever uh, to his current wife, but he was married ahead of that. And uh, so both of their marriages fail ahead of this. So there's a lot of stuff going on as Synchronicity is released. Uh, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, but it's here, uh, the police made a conscious attempt in Synchronicity to do something different. They kind of were toying around with it on Ghost in the Machine, but um, I think that they had a love-hate relationship with the synthesizer on Ghost in the Machine, so... They kind of wanted to make uh, like an album that uh, broke away from the reggae roots in particular, I think was, was a conscious choice. Um, there is a song uh, by written and sung by both Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland on this album as well, not just Sting. Um, we can talk about those <laughs> for sure because they're interesting songs. Uh, and is then one of uh, the mother. <laughs> yes, one of those mother. That's the Andy Summers one. Yes, and uh, yeah, I, I'll give a little bit of details on synchronicity. But yeah, after this is over, they play uh, Shea Stadium, uh, it, and you can probably figure out why they did that. Matt uh, Beatles homage right there. Uh, they do. Um, Sting I thought you were going to say they were Mets fans. Yeah, Sting. <laughs> Sting and Copeland also are at Live Aid a full uh, two years later after this album, but they uh, go on hiatus and uh, they never come back in terms of recording another album. They do play at Sting's wedding uh, years hmm. later, uh, like sort of an impromptu thing where they're on stage just there. And then they did go on a reunion tour much, much later, but uh, no album comes from that. So Synchronicity was a gigantic album. There's an argument to be made that, that when this album came out, which was June 17th, 1983, the, uh, throughout most of 83 and early 84, you could make a very um, fair argument that the police were the biggest band in the world at that point in terms of name value slash radio airplay sales uh, and stuff like that. Uh, the title of this album comes from a gentleman by the name of Arthur Kostler, uh, who Sting loves. Ghost in the Machine also comes from Arthur Kostler, but it's from, uh, it was inspired by a book, The Roots of Coincidence, is, and it has a concept called synchronicity in it. So it is sort of um, loosely, I'd say loosely, based on that concept. Uh, I read little bits and pieces of Kostler's Roots of Coincidence. It's kind of... Um, not to, to knock Mr. Kostler or stay. It's a little bit of like pseudoscience sort of concepts, I would yeah. describe it as. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, and then that's a little bit of, I can go more into it, but I think I'd bore everybody. So we'll just sort of say that. But um, the it's this album's been described as uh, like a collection of songs that are sort of miniature 
songs within an album and so it's kind of like a soundtrack in some ways i kind of saw a little bit of that uh but yeah that i, I won't go too much in the background because i'll put it in um it, one thing musically that i should mention is often mentioned as i did my research was sting used a device called a sequencer on this album now are you familiar with what a sequencer is i am not Guys. no so, i mean i've heard uh, of it at its most basic level, it's like software that can sort of edit, playback music, uh, record music, and um, you, you'll, you probably have heard of like MIDI, M-I-D-I. That's, mm-hmm. It's kind of that. That's yeah. where that sequence. You know, that's a sequencer sort of uh, device. You know, open sound control is another one that's in there. I won't get too geeky on that, but yeah, if you look at what a sequencer is, it's like. It's one of those keyboards like you'd buy in the 80s. It kind of looks like, you know, the black and white thing that you have with an old school looking like desktop computer uh, with an old school keyboard. That's what it looks like visually. But yeah, it, it really what it does is it, it's like computer generated music, I guess, is at the okay. best yeah. way to do it. it. It's a lot of loops and stuff like that as well. Um, I'll go like when I hear stuff, I'll kind of describe it in our thing. But I, I don't want to go too long on the bio because that's... There's a lot of these things like what is synchronicity as a concept? What is, you know, a sequencer that would take long tangents? And I don't, you know, I don't want to kind of go there. I'd rather mix it in along the way, if that makes sense. Um, The police also had a habit of recording albums extremely quickly. Um, They usually picked six weeks, kind of, is that's how long it took to record Ghost in the Machine. It's how long it took to record Synchronicity. Um, And Sting in particular um, was... The, the way the instruments were recorded was very interesting. They were all in separate rooms for this. So they were in a house, okay? And Stuart Copeland played the drums in the dining room, okay? Uh, and there was actually like a video link that that showed the other members. Sting was in the control room and, and Andy Summers was in the actual studio. And so they were playing, but they were in different areas. Um, and, like I found it hilarious. They said that it was done for two reasons, and so I'm thinking to myself, okay, the first one comes to mind is to obtain the best sound for each instrument, which, you know what I mean? It's an interesting thing. I can get that. And mm-hmm. the other was they described it for social reasons, which made me kind of <laughs> laugh out loud, which is basically like the band couldn't stand to be in the same room with each other. So that cracked me up. So Sting It's like the White Album. Yeah, a little bit. And, and Sting in particular was like, uh, he was complaining about hearing bass through headphones. He hated it. I think he compared it to a frog farting, right? So he said he wanted more warmth to the sound. And he's like, I get it more if we don't play together in the same room. I, while I don't doubt that Mr. Mr. (laughs) Sting. That Gordon uh, uh, had some truth to that. I do think that uh, he may be minimizing a little bit of, uh, you know, the interpersonal thing uh they did sting and Stuart copeland did come to physical blows with each other while they were recording every breath you take which is funny um there's a lot of stories about that uh the song uh was so that particular song was so acrimonious the recording they actually had to assemble like the song from overdubs which makes the fact that that song was so gigantic like even more amazing it's basically just overdubs <laughs> like that they piece together into every breath you take which a fun activity guys if you go back and listen to that try to imagine it as a series of overdubs and like how they put it together like frankenstein's monster it's mm-hmm. actually a very interesting way to listen to a very common song um and so yeah I- i'll stop there um because there's a lot more i can go into on this 
Uh, I will be very curious to hear what you guys think. And I think I'm going to start with Matt on this one. Thoughts on synchronicity. So I like this album and I think it might, it's the, my favorite police album that we have covered. Um, I think primarily it's got three of my favorite police songs, including my favorite police song of all time. Can you guess what that song is? Ooh. Um, King of Pain. Josh, I, got it. King of Pain. Yeah, I was going to yep. say, I would guess King of Pain too. Yep. yep. That's, I just, I've liked that song and I thought that going into this week, I was, you know, I, I, I remember saying that King of Pain's my favorite and this, just listening to this album this week helped solidify that. And that trifecta, every breath you take, King of Pain, wrapped around your finger. That's another great uh, single. Uh, just really like the sound of that. Really like the Late chorus. The album too. Yeah. Very so the, the yeah, that's the ninth of eleven tracks. So um, the synchronicity pairs are great. I love both of them. Synchronicity two is a great rocking song. That's kind of maybe the most rocking song on here. It's got my favorite Andy Summers song. Mother is 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 a crazy <laughs> weird nightmarish sounding song, but it's yes. awesome. Like it's a good I'd, way to describe it. I yeah, it's just like this panic kind of like Josh, I probably would guess that you hate it cuz it almost has like a like a like a carnival clown kind of, you know, like a Stephen King it clown, you know, coming to get you kind of thing um, with this paranoid vocal going on in the background. So but I something about that I just think is cool. Um, and, and Andy Summers definitely seems to be the um, I don't know if he's more avant garde, but he's got there's some there's a more of a sinister side or a, a darker side to him, perhaps musically. Anyway. Would you say? That yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a bad way to put it. Um, Sting so, certainly said they was inf- they were influenced by that on this album. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I think that that's you know that's a cool track. Uh, I'm kind of mixed on Miss Gradenko. I think parts of it are kind of I I don't know. I, I maybe I need to listen to that more. But um, it's interesting. The beginning almost sounds like it's a jam band song, and that's why I was kind of interested to see that Stuart Copeland wrote it because you know he's kind of like a jazzier you know kind of. You know, uh, and I know he did some jammy stuff. He did, he was in a band with Trey Anastasio and uh, Les Claypool mm. uh, called Oysterhead. So I, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he that's the song that he wrote. Um, this kind of seems a little bit more in his lane. Um, Walking in your footsteps, John. Footsteps. You're getting a little pre uh, a little uh, preamble here to Sting's world music. Uh, you know, it seems like that that's kind of he going. Sure the, did. And yep. the Peter Gabriel, you know, Paul Simon realm of the the pan flute and the the whatever yes. kind of drums world those are sounds. Yeah. There's definitely like a world music sound. I don't mind it. Um, especially since it's the only real song that's kind of like that on here, maybe tea in the Sahara has got a little bit of that, mm-hmm. but it's, it it's sure more, does. it's, yep. it's a, that's a little <laughs> bit more muted. I think that I think walking your footsteps is more in your face where tea in the Sahara is kind of, uh, it, it's, Sahara? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the, obviously I'm talking about the, 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 the Sahara the desert. Song. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think this is more consistent. Um, I definitely, I remember I wasn't that high on Ghost in the Machine. Or I, I liked it fine. I guess I was just a little, I was a little disappointed um, because I didn't, like the songs that I wasn't as familiar with didn't do much for me. But here, the, I guess I was more familiar with these songs too. Um, mm-hmm. I think Walking in Your Footsteps and Oh My God, Not So Much, Mr. Gradenko, Murder by Numbers, those are probably the ones that I was least familiar with. And uh, generally speaking, I like those, but I think the other songs that I knew going into this were the stronger ones. So um, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm thumbs up on it. It's, it's, uh, it's, to me, it's a more, 
I don't know. It was a more enjoyable record, I think, for me. Um, I, I, I'm not familiar with the first two as, as, as much. We didn't cover those. So, But of the three that we've covered, I would say that this is my favorite. All right. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So it's been interesting to listen to so many police albums, you know, kind of in close proximity to each other, basically, in, in order, too. Um, I don't... I feel like we don't always get that in the podcast just because they had such a short lifespan as a band. But I really, um, I think the structure of the album was interesting first and foremost. I, you know, there really are two kind of two halves or, you know, two distinct halves on this album with synchronicity one and two bookending the first half or the first side of the album. And then every breath you take and murder by numbers uh, bookending the sec uh, other side of the album it's a it's it's thematically it's very much you know john mentioned that author of the book i can see the pseudoscience slash philosophical nature of of some of these songs or the concepts and it's also a very dark album um in terms of Mm -hmm. you know every breath you take and then wrapped around your finger both very dark songs about (laughs) relationships and i'm murder yeah murder (laughs) murder by numbers also sure uh so and those are all in the back half of the album so uh i you're right matt i did not like mother as a song it reminded me of frank zappa a bit too much it was very chaotic it seemed very um out of place um in comparison to the rest of their work um but i guess it makes sense if if he's uh if he's contributing a song for once um, as opposed to what they did before. Um, some of the the lyrics are kind of insane. Uh, Walking in Your Footsteps is basically a song about dinosaurs, if you read the lyrics. <laughs> <Yep>. um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the concept of extinction. Yes. yes very, yeah. <laughs> and, and Murder by Numbers also kind of insane when you read the lyrics. I think overall uh, the police never are going to rise too high in my estimation i enjoy their music but they are kind of proggy on this album i think they're striving to be a little proggy they have a really big sound that i think would would be suitable for like arena um playing in arenas and things like that that kind of gets to the proggy feel that i have too they there's and I mentioned this uh, last week or the week before when we talked about their previous album, they have a chaotic nature to them. I feel like there's a lot of energy that they're bringing to their instruments. And there's always uh, a a fast, not fast tempo, but kind of an energy um, to their songs that they do. And I don't always, at least in comparison to the other two albums this week, I don't always respond to the police in the way that I think, a lot of people do especially you know john when you said that they were one of the biggest bands in the world at this point mm-hmm. um i think sure. they do have uh, they do have a uniqueness to them and that's that's apparent throughout this um uh, album i thought it was interesting having synchronicity one and two um on as a piece they they have uh you know the repeating synth or keyboard on synchronicity one and then uh, synchronicity too has kind of this guitar and big build to it um that's interesting obviously their most famous song every breath you take is on here and a famously misinterpreted song um or is it bigger than roxanne i think i think so okay i would 
yeah, I would think so. I think hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. This is probably is this the most played song on uh, Spotify? It's got one billion listens. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. if and and Roxanne has four hundred forty eight million and is the second, so it is double big. Yeah. So you got Josh, it. you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You are correct, Josh. Yes. <laughs> I, I, but I would have, I would have, I'd say this. I wouldn't have thought that that would, discrepancy would be that much. Well, do you so. do you want to guess the other three that make up the top five? What else? I, I have it in front of me already. So uh, okay, Josh, you want to take a guess? Uh, message in a bottle is number three. Um, every little thing she does is magic. It's number four. <laughs> and... Josh has it in front of him too. No, I don't. I don't have Spotify. <laughs> and. Uh, what is the other one? Roxanne is number five. No, oh, it's number, number two. two. Number two. I don't know what number five is. Don't stand so close to me. Oh, number yes. Five. Okay. It is probably exact, but yeah, you were the fact that you were able to get the first four in order should. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. But um, I do like some. You know, getting back to kind of thematically wrapped around your finger has some uh, mythological references in it, which I always appreciate. And sometimes their songs sound like especially a song like murder by numbers they it, they sound kind of adult contemporary or sing sting sounds like he's singing in a jazz bar or something that's kind of the the vibe i get from it and i think that's kind of what puts me off a little bit about them i i appreciate their uniqueness but there's something about them that i just i just don't respond to in a way that i think a lot of people do on the other hand they have so many like this uh memorable singles that we just named and I can probably sing or know all of those. So they definitely have creeped into pop culture and into my mind. So and with a band that has so many singles, I can't say that I, um, that I hate them or anything, but they, they just don't, they just don't pop in the way that, um, a, a band this famous for me, uh, would. So, yeah, I give this a, I give this a, a thumbs up, but it, it's kind of a qualified thumbs up. Josh, I'm sorry. You said every breath you take was their best, highest, but you thought that that was the their best yes. song. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that's got a billion listens. Yeah, yeah. Roxanne's number two. So I was wrong. My bad. Um, well, and I, I corrected I, you real time. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was like, just oops. Um, I, and I think I would agree, uh, Josh. I I don't think it's. I would say that I'm not high on them. I think this uh, for all the bands that I've talked about that I knew this band through the Greatest Hits album, mm-hmm. more so than the albums themselves. Um, I think this to me is more, I've, I'm viewing them personally as more of a singles band than an albums band because I'm looking at those songs and I'm thinking about all the ones that are comp- the compilation of the Greatest Hits and I love pretty much all of them. Right. And I start to kind of lose my interest in them when we start to talk about some of the deeper cuts so i think i would agree with that i think that the the singles are very very strong uh i would say i'm not as into the other cuts as you are uh, uh, i'm sorry as 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 others might be um so i think they're i think i would agree with that and as, as just the more i'm thinking about it right now i think that this is more of a singles band for me yeah well, I, I, when i th- when i think about kind of the flavor of their an energy of their sound it it wouldn't be they wouldn't be a band there i'd be like oh man i'm in the mood to listen to some police they they just don't have mm-hmm. that feel to them um like you said maybe hearing a single pop-up would be good but the ex, you know the experience of their albums as a whole um take kind of takes a little bit of work and and uh is kind of emotionally like varied um it's not they're not always 
they're not always pleasing to listen to in a certain way. So, well, I'll, I'll kind of chime in here. I think as mm-hmm. well. Um, I would say that I'm probably the bigger police fan of any of the three of us, right? I probably mm-hmm. have sort of said that. Um, I actually am not as big a fan of Synchronicity as I am of a lot of their other albums, and the reason is because it is so wildly inconsistent. Um, yeah. I, I described this to a friend once as this album's like back heavy, right? So it's like all yes. ass and pretty face because Synchronicity one is good, and then there's a middle where it's sort of like it's missing, right? You know, it kind of that's you got Synchronicity one and then a murderer's row from Synchronicity two to basically the end, right? Of mm-hmm. some of the best stuff the police ever did. So this album, I completely agree, Matt. I would say this is the ultimate, like, there's the singles and then there's the rest of the album. I don't feel that way about the other albums we covered. I feel there were plenty of songs that weren't singles that were very pleasant to listen to. I think that's why I like Ghost in the Machine and uh, uh, out of the ones we covered, right? Mm -hmm. I I would say, you know, Ghost in the Machine and uh, Zenyatta Mandata, I like much better because they're much more consistent, I think. They may not have the highs along the way, but they don't have... yeah. You yeah. know, that really rough stretch, I feel like. Yeah. I think, like, uh, Mother and Miss Gradenko in particular is a really tough stretch. I mean, there's a reason Sting, you know, was the voice of the police. His, there's just a reason, you know, he really did it. Uh, I did not, I do not love the creeping world music in this. Walking in <laughs> Your Footsteps and Tea in the Sahara are definitely my least favorite songs on this. Even Mother, I can appreciate as an experiment, and I, while I don't love it, like, I, I give them balls for like, here's our great commercial album. Oh, and we're going to let Andy Summers write basically a, you know, Captain Beefheart song in the middle of it. So I give them credit for balls. But uh, it's when the, 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 the Sting Searcher concept comes in. Yeah. And while it's all over this, because like the idea of that book is, uh, it's an argument for parent, like taking the paranormal and ESP as serious sciences and so that's kind of what it is. And like I said, it's not so much. It's like, if you're there, great. And I'm not going to do it. But it's it's all over. Like, if you look at the lyrics of Synchronicity 1 and Synchronicity 2, it's like mumbo jumbo, you know, jargon. <laughs> kind. It's kind of yeah. does. It's it's they sound great. Both of them I love. Like Synchronicity 1 like a prog rock song. And Synchronicity 2 is like this very interesting 80s pop song. But lyrically, it's just it's nothing. You know, it's just it's it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah. But I, I hear you, Matt, on this album, because that's why Synchronicity doesn't rank as high for me, because it is very inconsistent. Like, what's good is excellent, and what isn't is just filler. You know, it's just it's kind of there. I've, and sometimes, I wouldn't say offensive, but just like, ugh, I, I do not want this. So I get that. I also think, Josh, that the police, you always keep describing them as sort of frantic, and that's like what the band is. I mean, they're always at each other's throat, like their whole career. And like, I feel more than almost any other band, the sound of, and this is where they're, they have like a punk rock. It's kind of like when you listen to the Sex Pistols, right? They're angry and they're, you know, with each other too. You know, they're just like, you could just tell these are not guys who are easy to get along with and the stuff that inspires the music. And with the police, it always feels like they're in a fight. And their music sounds yeah, like that's that true. too. And mm-hmm. then there's cooling off periods, and that's why a lot of their other songs sound sort of dark a little bit, but also like you're coming down from a fight, right? Like right. you know, let's use that lounge singer, but that's that's the whole police vibe. It's either intense, like sounds coming all over, where they're all you know, you know, Stuart Copeland's drums are fighting Andy Summers' guitar lines are fighting Sting's frantic bass and his voice that's scaling up and down and then it's like let's take it down now 
and do like <laughs> ominous every a breath you take, or anger. yeah, or like yeah. murder by numbers, and and it's not just this album. It's it, if you go back and listen to the police like as a um, a psychological you know profile, it, you see it in all their albums, even the yeah. early ones that are a little bit more joyous, you know, and stuff. But I I always find the video for spirits in the material world to be very interesting because I. It's equal parts playful at t- and also kind of like they look like they kind of also hate each other in it. So if you ever get a chance to watch that video, um, I think it's a really interesting picture of the band. So hmm. yeah, it's impossible for me not to recommend this album because any album with King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, Synchronicity 2, Every Breath You Take, like in a force, yeah. I mean, come on, that's like insane. Right. That, that is like a four piece. And then... You have to put up with Tia in the Sahara, but then you get to Murder by Numbers, which is an interesting uh, last song, and the placement's great for it. And uh, and Oh My God is sort of as close as it gets to an old police song, right? It's got a little bit mm-hmm. more of the traditional influences, and thus I like it. So yeah, definite recommend here, but uh, it, it does sound like the, the sound of a band. <laughs> this is the walking embodiment of a band getting ready to go in different directions. <laughs> I feel like yep. that's what this album is. Uh, and it makes sense. The police are very biographical sonically to where they are in their life more so than almost any other band i can think so that's my two cents there. that's like that's a good wrap-up of them it's a testament to their ability as musicians to have all three of them be so kind of different and yet still be able to make music that that works and so yeah yeah and so i want to kind of get in the habit now of us summarizing where we stand so i'm going to say recommend for me i can't say like absolute you know the highest level recommend but as i said before while i am a little bit frustrated by the inconsistencies at point like it's that idea in baseball right there's career right and then there's like peak value like mm-hmm. this is the ultimate peak value album because in in its highest points it's like elite but then there's stuff that it's like it's you know decline years or when it's too young and they're not quite hitting or they've lost a step that that's kind of if we go baseball player analogy that's what i would describe this album as yeah peak yeah. value yeah i'd get i'd give it a a thumbs up too and uh is it my favorite police album i guess it is my favorite police album that we've covered yeah that we've covered. yeah i would i think it's my yeah and i say that my comment about them being a singles band for me is being said without really knowing the first two albums, but based on these last three, well, that's where I, a lot I, of the singles are. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, that might be true. Well, yeah, because I remember Ghost of the Machine didn't have had like Ghost of the. That's maybe why I dislike that the most because that had the, maybe the fewest singles and also ones on it that I I think every I think the only one that I really liked was Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic and the other two I was kind of mad on. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm still I'm still thumbs up on it. It's it's got it's got my favorite police songs on it. So uh, yeah. for that, I have to be a thumbs up. Of the three, we did definitely Ghost in the Machine is my favorite, and mm. I because Invisible Sun is my um, King of Pain. Matt. I think it's their oh yeah best oh. song. Yeah, for sure. Mm. There's other great and there's great great songs, in, and the first two albums are actually probably the most accessible pop ready albums. Um, they're kind of almost like twin siblings a little bit in terms sonically of what they sound like, but um, they're easier listens than the albums we've listened to. So, but yeah, I would say of the three we covered, Ghost in the Machine's my favorite. Nice. All right, well, I'm going to turn the reins over to Josh for Psych yep. 2. We've got the uh, Violent Femmes self-titled album, Violent Femmes. And in the opening montage, you heard Add It Up. 
and now you're going to hear Gone Daddy Gone. stats on violent femmes yeah so violent femmes debut i think this is her debut album uh, self-titled debut album violent femmes comes in at number 25 in the 1980s on best ever albums number two in 1983 number 205 of all time it is violent femmes violent femmes highest rated album on best ever albums it's not on rolling stones list the only album that we're covering tonight that's not um and violent femmes are ranked number 214 of all time in the artists category on best ever albums all right. Violent Femmes are from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which I think this is the first band we've covered from Wisconsin. Um, Milwaukee. So. It's Algonquin for the good land, John. <laughs> the uh, band formed in, in 1980 um, by bassist Brian Ritchie and drummer Victor DiLorenzo. The lead singer Gordon Gano joined shortly after they formed and Gano grew up the son of a Baptist preacher, which I think is important to note because I think it plays into some of the themes of, of the album and their work later on. If you have listened to it, um, they started out by playing coffee houses and busking on street corners in Milwaukee. They were then discovered, uh, discovered in quotes by James Honeyman Scott of the pretenders on August 23rd, 1981, when they were playing outside the venue, um, the Oriental Theater that the Pretenders were playing that night in Milwaukee, and Chrissy Hind invited them to open for them that night um, when they were playing. And uh, you might think that this would be a big break for them, but um, Gano told Spin later on that uh, while that's a true story, it, it wasn't a, a break by any means. They can basically just uh, continue to play uh, locally and, and touring around and not necessarily... Um, gaining any more fame but psychologically he said it did play sort of a um, reinforcement that they were on the right track in in terms of their their sound or uh, you know intention by being a band they continued to uh, play for another year and they played their first gig in new york city um, as a support group for richard hell who we kind of mentioned uh, probably around the television era and in terms of uh, New York City and that kind of music scene at the time. Um, that gig led to a glowing write-up by the late Robert Palmer in the New York Times, and basically that review focused exclusively on the Femmes rather than than Richard Hell, um, who was the headliner. They then signed with Slash Records, which is a popular indie label, and uh, other bands that we've talked about were signed to Slash Records, famously X, um, Los Angeles, and and some other. They were kind of a punk punk rock indie label um, at the time. This, uh, all of that being said, that led them to recording this album, their debut, which came out 
which they recorded in July of 1982 at Castle Recording Studios in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. The album itself was released April 13th, 1983 on vinyl and cassette, and it was not released on CD until 87. The album was produced by Mark Van Heck, who I could not find much information on, so I'm not sure how pivotal or famous a role he played in that. Maybe he was just a local local guy. Most of the songs on this album were written by Gano when he was in high school and uh, earlier on in his career, uh, when he, or early on in his life when he was 18. Holy shit, high school? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, both Richie and DiLorenzo uh, had wanted a small yet powerful rhythm section, which led to Richie playing uh, the mariachi acoustic bass, um, which is that big bass uh, guitar um, that appears on this album. DiLorenzo also um, invented a minimalist stand-up drum kit called a transiophone, which is basically a snare drum. Um, and then there's a big like metal bin on top of it. And he plays with those kind of uh, wiry, um, I don't know what they're called, wiry uh, brushes. Um, on it and I, I did find a picture of that so if you guys are interested because I was like what is what is it? I, I googled transiophone I couldn't find anything but then I f- saw him uh, a picture in a violent femmes article so that it was interesting um, and that's those kind of instruments were what they were using when they were busking on the streets and both of those instruments can be heard on this album as well it is their most successful album um, eventually reaching platinum eight years after its release, despite never charting on the Billboard 200 during that time period, and that finally cracked the Billboard at 171 on August 3rd, 1991. The cover of this album is three-year-old Billy Joe Campbell, who was walking with her mother in L.A. on the street, and a photographer offered them $100 to appear for the cover, and the cover is of her peering into a window in a house in Laurel Canyon. Um... I have a little bit of uh, bio after. Um, There's still a band that's around. They uh, There was not a lot of information about them. I did find some good articles, but nothing extensive on Wikipedia and, um, you know, no sort of books or anything that uh, I could find to read. So uh, let's, let's get right to it and talk about the album. Uh, what is your... Do you guys have a relationship with Violent Femmes? I really only know them from Blister in the Sun, and that's kind of it. Um, so what did you think of this album, their debut? Let's start with John. I, I go first? Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm somewhat... It's been a long, long time since I've listened to the Violent Femmes um, mm-hmm. outside of, you know, stumbling across, like... The two I hear most often are like Blister in the Sun and Kiss Off are the songs that often get played. But mm-hmm. I mean, Added Up is the other big song of theirs. Um, I kind of divide it into two different. The Violent Femme sound is so interesting. It's um, it's part folk rock and it's part punk rock kind yep. of with with uh, uh, sort of off kilter like chords along the way. And then I what I completely uh, 
because uh, it's been a long time since I listened to the album, what I completely forgot was like at the end, they end with that like homage to the Velvet Underground, like God, Daddy Gone and Good yeah. Feeling, which literally like, it's like, boy, okay, you've listened to the Velvet Underground albums because it's, <laughs> I mean, it's right there, like the influence. And I forgot, I was like, oh, that's right. Okay, that's in there too. But yeah, I, I really like this album uh, quite a bit and, and always have. Um, my first thought though, guys, is lyric. It's a very interesting album lyrically. It's, Boy, you can draw a line from this, right, to, to you know, the Decemberists and Modest Mouse and all kinds of, mm-hmm. you know, those sort of literate rock bands, you know, teenage angsty um, folk slash rock combos, you know, that came later that I felt like in many ways the Violent Femme sort of presaged uh, the late 90s and 2000, like really like the 2000s, I'd say, is where a lot of their lineage, you know, really surfaced in that mm-hmm. kind of sound. Um, I forget like how funny this album is, especially like it, cause you could tell you read it when he's in high school. Cause so much of this stuff is like high school stuff or early college right. stuff. Um, this also is the type of album that I could definitely see someone in today's era saying it didn't age well, but to me, it, it, it's kind of like the Descendants album was like that too. You'd listen to it and it's like under modern ears. You're like, Oh, that's of another era. But I think because I recognize these sentiments and it, it, like lined up a lot with how I grew up and, and thought about things, I think a little bit and, you know, kind of some of my concepts of, you know, growing up, I, I, I like always connected with it and sort of transported me back to being a teenager in some ways. Uh, it's got like a real teen angsty type of feel to it. Yes, I feel like, sure. doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And it's kind of yeah. like, it's a, it's about love, but it's about, the love, like the way you understand it is like when you're 17, right? Like, you know, romantic love yes. mixed with like pure, like frustration. I want to frustration <laughs> at, at, at not getting fucked or having bad sex, right? Like all the way down. And I put it that blunt because it literally, you know, like added right, up is yeah. added up's kind of funny and pathetic at the same time, kind of like most 17 year olds. Like they can be funny at times. They can be pathetic at times. They can be kind of problematic at times. And I mean, that's really what being like a 17 year old, especially like, Gen Xy slash late boomery era, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. is what I think of. Like it's this is a very like eighties teen <laughs> sort of uh, album, but not like in the John Hughes version. More like in a you didn't grow up in a leafy suburb. You kind of grew up, uh, you know. And we're gonna see more bands like that, by the way, like midwestern bands that grew up like this, mm-hmm. like the Replacements and Husker Du. They're all you know midwestern bands. So there's a lineage. Uh, that's a long way. It kind of continues later in the 90s, with like Soul Asylum and band. these are all like Midwestern bands, right? That kind of yep. came. And a lot of those bands later that I think were influenced by them were Midwestern too. So there's a Midwestern sensibility. But yeah, I really enjoyed this album. Um, I, I it, it's it's timeless in a way because I think it speaks to like youth. But like I said, I can't help but wonder if somebody were to listen. I'd love to do an experiment where I played it for current teenagers because even though this was 83, you know, we would, we would go through high school some 15 plus years later, right. You know, or maybe a little less than a little more than that, depending on who we're talking about. But I would say this album still very much represented kind of a typical experience Mm -hmm. um, for like a male adolescent, you know, and you know, I wonder if it's universal in the way that I think it's universal or if it's more just, there was this pre- phone angsty like period that this captured like such in such a a great way and then it's kind of like um blister in the sun for them is kind of 
you know, it's like the the brown eyed girl for Van Morrison, or just you know when you know a band like. You, I may not know the band, but like I know that they sang this one song, and that's what Blister in the Sun is, because it's so clearly their most well-known song, and to the point where I can't think of many bands that have no other hits, but that had a career that where the hit was so big as Blister in the Sun is. So, I mean, that's my initial thoughts. I, I'll, I can talk sonically about this album quite a bit, too, but that's my initial thoughts. But Matt, what'd you think? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I thought I was muted. Um... I so Josh to answer your question, I wasn't terribly familiar with them. I had a, f- a friend slash uh, a former roommate who had I think their greatest hits, and so I remember him playing that, and um, so some of these songs were on there. So I did know, mm-hmm. I did know some of them, and but this I never really listened to this album uh, front to back like I did this week, and I love this album. This um I this really is up my alley. I love it's like yeah you had it you're right it's like acoustic punk is yep. the best way to put this. Um it's just mostly mostly acoustic uh instruments uh, including the bass. It's interesting the mariachi bass. It's like that it's I looked it up. It's that huge right <laughs> huge huge ass bass that like yeah, it's in a, in a mariachi band. So it's kind of funny that they use that. Um so it's got a very minimalistic uh sonic palette to it, but it just it works so well. Um and then there's songs like Promise I think is a song that's a good like if they plugged in there, that would be a killer riff. I mean, it is a killer riff, but it yep. doesn't have as much power because it's it's done with an acoustic guitar. But that's something that I could I could see them plugging in and just being like, oh man, that takes it to a different level. But um, I think yes, it's got a lot of that teen angsty uh, feel to it. I paid attention to some of the lyrics. They are funny, right? There are a number mm-hmm. of funny things in here. There's a couple parts where I had to turn the volume down because with my daughter in the house. <laughs> uh, so, but it's very danceable. It's very, um, like added up is a, that's a great song. The music oh, behind yeah, it I is love it. just, Oh, I'm glad you picked that Josh. That's, yeah. that's my favorite song on here. It's just the way it builds up. And it's just, it's, it's a very catchy, very great song. I love Gano's voice. This is another one of those artists yes. that, yeah. um, I, I was thinking a, a similar reaction to the talking heads in that they do a really good job of marrying the kind of the, the off kilter avant garde discordant sounds with cool melodies and cool, you know, instrumentation that really balances well together. And so this is another one of those artists that I was feeling like that, that this is really marrying those two worlds uh very well, and that's some of my favorite music. So I, I, I really enjoyed this. Definitely the Velvet Underground, John. That was another band, particularly oh, for with sure. good feeling. That's yes, just like yeah. that is, and that that is a, that's Lou Reed. You know, Velvet Underground, right there. And Gone Daddy um, Gone's first album, yeah, Velvet and, Underground. And I love the, uh, the and Confessions the, too. Like I, I had that. Yeah. What are you worrying about? Right. Like in my head for like days after that. Yeah. Yeah, like some of those slower songs. Uh, you know, Gone Daddy Gone's got a great. That's is that like the greatest xylophone solo? Like it's just it's a it really, must be because I love that song so. Yeah, much. Yeah, it's um, it's got this. It's kind of at the beginning. You kind of listen to it. It's like he's playing the xylophone, and then the more I listen to it, the more I thought 
That's well, kind of badass. It's really yeah. good what he's. It's really you know. It's really good what he's playing there. Well, it's um, Elvis, but it's also that surf rock. There's that surf yeah. rock sound. Yeah, okay. In here too. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. that killer riff that you said in Promise. I agree, but it's a surf rock riff. Yeah. If you listen to it, yeah. Yeah. So. That's fair. Um, and then you know something like "To the Kill" is probably the most avant-garde song on here, but it's just it's just a lot of cool parts. You know, another band that came to mind listening to them uh, in some ways was Modern Lovers. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I and, that. Yeah, um, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and I love that album as well. So, really, and I agree with you, John. It does seem like this, you know, pretends to the, you know, the, the some of the more indie rock music that comes later, like twenty years later, really. You know, yeah, two thousands um, indie yeah. rock. I think it's more than the nineties. Yeah. yeah, I would probably agree with that. So, this is really, um, this is really uh, checking off a lot of boxes for me, and uh, I. There's not a bad song on here. It's funny. It's cool. It's upbeat. It's it's interesting, right? And I I love his voice. Gano's got a voice. I, it's one of those voices where I guess I could understand if somebody was put off by it or put off by some of the off-kilter nature of this. But there's just too much good stuff going on in here for me to kind of like, you know, to, for, for anything to bother me. I think that they just yeah. really did a great job. And the fact that this guy wrote it, It's funny, yeah, it makes sense that he wrote these in high school. But at the same time, it's extremely impressive that he wrote these songs in high school as well. So I am a big thumbs up on this. This is, a, uh, this is one of my favorite records that I think that we've covered this decade so far. So uh, I'm a fan. Yeah, I am. I, I'm right there with you guys. I'm always. Uh, I'm going to be very effusive about this album. I, I loved it. I was kind of shocked that I hadn't heard it before. I feel like it's. Uh, it, it's like Matt said. It's so kind of all of the things that I love about uh, or genre, certain genres of music and and for knowing blister in the sun i i thought maybe the violent femmes were just kind of a one-hit wonder or didn't have any depth to them but i was i was very wrong about that um uh, like you guys i i heard the modern lovers and the velvet underground i think uh a little iggy pop a little psychedelic a little surf rock i think all of a little garage rock i think all of those elements come into play um, in their sound and and it's like the perfect mixture for me for loving an album the I like that the uh, other two band members come in um, and sing backing vocals or harmonies at times, and I like the stripped-down nature of of their sound. I think they, you know, they're a three-piece and they have they do use a lot of different instruments, but they uh, get they get a lot of bang for their buck in in what they do, and I think they have a lot of uh, uh, unique sounds or or you know, kind of unique spins on things that we may have heard in the past. Uh, like Matt said, I like Gano's voice also. It's it's kind of nasally and unconventional, but it really works in the context of, of this band. The uh, I would like to uh, also, there's a little bit of country into it uh, in this. And, and, you know, John said folk, and I saw a lot of uh, write-ups of them being classified as folk punk um that's kind of the first that we've heard or i've seen that described for a band that we've talked about i I guess that's true i definitely hear some a little bit of folky americana especially in that last song like good feeling there's a violin in there that they add that also kind of uh is kind of clutch in my opinion i think that adds another layer to them when they throw in something completely different from the rest of the album the uh I really like how they structure their songs. They they have 
you know, they have their verses, but then they take little instrumental breaks in between and they do these kind of like cool bass breakdowns or guitar breakdowns or interesting bridges in between the songs. And it's just all the music. And um, I think the energy uh, kind of mentality of the lyrics being being written when they are teenagers coupled with just kind of this this energy of being kind of punk rock and borderline angry and there's it's borderline screamy at times on a song like added up and it's you can just kind of you can just the energy is just kind of leaking off all of the songs and and like you said matt i was tapping my toes to pretty much every song on here when i was listening to it and Mm -hmm. and I, i just really responded to that um i think it's undeniable that the velvet underground would be an influence on them and uh you mentioned it too to the kill is such like kind of really an off-kilter music bridge it sounds like they're all playing in different uh different times or not playing together it's kind of chaotic um which is interesting and gone daddy gone is probably now probably one of my favorite songs of all time i'm surprised i i think i've heard that before somewhere but i just listened to it on repeat when i was listening to this album um, it, it feels a little Iggy Pop to me too, their energy, um, especially that song. Uh, they did borrow a verse from Willie Dixon's 1954 song, I Want to Make Love to You, originally recorded by Muddy Waters. So um, that's often added to the, the name of the song um, at times, depending on when you hear it, even on the best of, I think it's added to it. Um, and Gnarls Barkley made a, a cover of that song too on oh, their, that's right, their album, St. Yep. Else, elsewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of stunned by how much, uh, I like this album. Like you, Matt, it's, I think it's in my top five now for the decade. I I was trying to find a band from the seventies or earlier that I liked as much as I liked listening to this album. And, uh, I'll get back to you when I find it. Maybe, maybe Pylon, maybe something in the late seventies and in the post-punk era, probably that, that I liked, but uh, th- this is a big thumbs up for me. I'm interested to see what what their kind of next albums are like. Are you talking about like bands that you had you no idea about or you didn't really know yeah. anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they also have kind of like a like please don't do not go has a little bit of a '50s doo-wop, you know, thing going on in the chorus there. So you're right, they are they are drawing from a lot of different sounds and genres kind of and and making it their own. Like when. You know, I, I might not know a lot of Violent Femme songs, but I know his voice when I'm like, that's the Violent Femmes guy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, they are a unique band in that regard. And I know we don't have the Twitter account, which is fine by me anymore. But like <laughs> the one thing that is uh, sometimes I do that I used to do was I try to find live performances mm-hmm. to, to kind of see what and, and the Violent Femmes, I didn't have a concept of what they were like live because I've never seen them live and stuff. And there is a pretty remarkable um, clip of them playing Added Up from 1988 in Mm. Auckland, New Zealand. Um, And boy, it really kind of gives you like, I wouldn't say it's exactly like I imagine their show would look like, but it's, it's, first of all, it's an incredible quality for 1988. I'll start by saying that you would never guess it was that uh, old ago, but mm-hmm. if you get a chance and you Google uh, "Violent Femmes Added Up" um, in New Zealand, um, 
like you'll see it. It's about a six minute and forty one second performance. It's it's they sound fantastic, and you know eighty eight would have been five years after this, so you know they would have released a couple other things, but it's definitely well worth watching. And I would suggest to you guys to watch it too because it really I, does give you a vibe. Yeah, I bet they would be awesome to see live. I mean, this music just seems like it would be a great. Uh, sound to have at a live performance, particularly like in a smaller venue too. Yeah, I think that would be sure. like in a bar. You what, know, I could see the band getting really into it. And I could see the audience getting really into it. And so uh, the yeah. audience is super male, by the way, which I think oh, really? might surprise people. Because but but like this band does sound. You know, they they have they have a very like, I can't really describe it. They have a very male sound to them. Like I. I I feel like to some degree it's music for young males. I, I, they're, not that there's a barrier, but like what they're singing, it seems like very much an adolescent male experience, like mm -hmm. a real one though, not like a fantasy, you know, <laughs> or like a girls, girls, girls by Motley. You figure that there's that stuff, but this is more like I'm sitting in my basement with my friends, right? You know, mm -hmm. type vibe. So am I just nuts in thinking that or did you guys get that vibe too? The lyrics certainly go that way too. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think so. I but I also one of my memories of this of this band. I think the first time I ever heard Blister in the Sun was I was like at a high school or middle school dance or something, and I remember it playing. And I remember like several girls in my class like really getting into it. Like, and I and I remember talking to one like I've never heard this song before. And my one friend, she was very much into them, and she was like, "Oh, you got to listen. They're great." You know, like so. I actually it just because of that memory, I think of uh, I think of that. But um, I I I don't know. I could. I guess I see what you're saying. I I, I, I guess I'm a little surprised that it's that male because um, I think that there's quirky females out there that would love this stuff too, um, you know. So I don't I, I don't I don't see it like as something like Genesis is always a band that I think of that you know early proggy Genesis like that's a male <laughs> that's yeah. a male. Well, yeah, proggy Rush and stuff yeah. is yeah very male. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is a little different than that, but um, yeah. Yeah, um, just to wrap up, they released two more albums uh, in uh, 84, one called Hollowed Ground, and third album was called Blind Leading the Naked in 1986. Then they briefly disbanded in 87. Uh, they reunited in 88 and released a few more albums. And um, then they... Uh, Victor DiLorenzo left the group in 93 and was replaced by another guy, Guy Hoffman, and then they released five albums there. The uh, DiLorenzo returned in 2002 for Rhino's 20th anniversary uh, reissue of the original album and a uh, tour that came with that, and then they broke up again in 2009 as a result of a lawsuit between uh, Gano and Richie for uh, Blister in the Sun uh, being sold to Wendy's for use in a commercial and uh, Richie filed a lawsuit for half of the ownership of the Violent Femmes music and access to royalties and uh, but then they reunited in 2013 and played Coachella and they are continuing to make music with their most recent album coming out in 2019 titled Hotel Last Resort so they are still around and kicking Josh, do you know the song? They did they do that song American Music as well. You they might did. have you ever you know that song? I don't. I did, I haven't listened to it, so I don't know. But you might have recognized okay. that. That's a song that's kind of made its way into. I mean, not like Blister in the Sun as as, as much, but it's definitely mm -hmm. made its way into like commercials or TV or just other m mediums that you might have heard before. And it's and it's really good too. So I would recommend that one. Awesome. 
Yeah, this is a good example, too, of a band that both we can, having done this, we can trace the influences very clearly. Like, we all got to the same ones, right? Mm -hmm. But also sounds way ahead of their time in other yeah. fronts because the lane they're carving from the influences. Uh, we talked about that concept of the people that sound, and, and, you know, you mentioned Iggy Pop, uh, Josh, and I kind of said oftentimes, I'm like, he was like a space alien, like eight years ahead of everybody mm -hmm. else. And then suddenly everybody got to the sound. I feel to some degree, like this sound didn't really truly germinate until the 2000s. I, as crazy as it's, I think some of what they're doing here gets revisited later by bands like uh, Jesus and Mary Chain and then later the Ravenettes, uh, Matt. But mm -hmm. like they do it in a totally different way, right? They take some of the surf rock and the influences there, but they go kind of in a more noise and, and, and so like it kind of that, that's the sound that it went to. And then, you know, even Sonic Youth and stuff kind of take that idea. B but then like this sound, like the Femmes, like kind of comes back, you know, don't you get a little bit of like neutral milk hotel sure. at times oh, from this? Yeah, oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that doesn't have as much of the punk, but you mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? Like they kind of strip out the punk later, but some of what this is comes from there so for those that are looking for because uh, blister in the sun is a good thing to it's not a, an atypical sound on this album but i don't know if it's the exact it gives you the full it's kind of like what josh said like you could be fooled into thinking it's just yeah. that song right but it's there's a hell of a lot more than yeah, this it's are, an excellent yeah. album yeah yeah so mm -hmm. yeah nice sounds like we all really like the album we yeah, sure man. do mm -hmm. that was a good one real good one all right is All it right. as good as this next album? We'll find well, out. According to the rankings, uh, born, so born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen, um, it's number 24 in the 1980s. So it's one wow. ahead of uh, what we just covered. Just so one. Wow. Just one. Just one ahead. Yep. Just barely. Um, so this is, we're now in 1984 as well. So we've just uh, skipped ahead a year. Oh, yeah. um, so this comes to number 24 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number four in 1984, number 198 of all time. It is Springsteen's third highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind Darkness on the Edge of Town and Born to Run, which is number one. We've covered both of those before already. Um, it made Rolling Stones list uh, coming in at number 142 of all time. And Springsteen is rated number 19 of all time artists on Best Ever Albums. Um, what and, songs did you pick for the... Oh, right. Thank you, Josh. I'm sorry. In the opening montage, you heard Dancing in the Dark, and now you're going to hear a clip from Downbound Train. I had a job, I had a girl Had something gone, mister, in this world I got laid off down at the lumber yard Our love went bad, time's got version there but whatever we are an amateur podcast after that's all the way bruce rolls he's always that's right that's me too that's right so um we've covered springsteen several times as i mentioned born to run darkness of the edge of town we also covered the wild the industry and the East, innocent and the east street shuffle in a cold listen and the river in a cold listen and so now we're doing what josh alluded to earlier in the show which is springsteen's biggest album and that sure is the case here uh this is his seventh studio album recorded in 
and over the course of really over two years, actually, um, wow. it was it started recording in January of 1982, and they finished recording in March of 1984. During these sessions, uh, Springsteen wrote slash recorded roughly 80 different songs. Whoa. So this is just continuing <laughs> the Springsteen legacy of just writing a ridiculous amount of songs, recording many of them, and releasing a fraction of them, uh, you know. Um, so the album was released in, on June 4th, 1984. It's another one of those albums um, we just covered recently, which was like, uh, hey, let's just make this, uh, you know, hit after hit after hit. Uh, there were seven top there were seven top 10 singles on, uh, on Born in the USA. What was the album we just covered? We just did another one that was like a, just well, a thriller series of hits. had a lot. Yes, that's right, Josh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. Thriller Duran Duran was, also had a lot too. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah, right. But I think it was Thriller that we were talking about. So this is another one of those records. It's certainly his most commercially successful album, selling more more than 30 million copies. And um, it's according to, if you look at the list on Wikipedia, it's the 22nd best-selling album of all time. Oh, Cyndi Lauper too, Matt, last week. She had a lot of hits. Yeah, she had a bunch of hits, correct, yeah. Um, It was also, uh, Born in the USA was the best-selling album of 1985. And this album sees Springsteen going into a more poppy uh, kind of direction from his previous records, which would, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which would explain why it was so popular, obviously. Um, so it hit number one in the U.S. charts on July 7th, 1984, and stayed there for seven weeks. And it remained on the charts for 143 weeks total, which was uh, about two years and nine months. Wow. Um, nominated for Album of the Year as well. And so just a brief history of the record itself. Uh, we, we did cover the river, and after that, Springsteen recorded, uh, started writing a, a number of songs by himself. And um, many of the songs that, he, actually, he wrote some songs from this album that were also written at the same time that he um, of the album Nebraska, which we're going to cover next week in a cold listen, but that album actually came out before this. So we're mm. starting to... We're, we're kind of, times are colliding here because of uh, the way that the cold listens are lining Folding up. Folding in so on itself. We'll try to, I'm going to try to, you know, we might try to reorganize some of the um, cold listens to prevent that. But basically, Nebraska and, and Born in the USA, the songs, many of the songs were, were written at the same time. Uh, a lot of these songs on Born in the USA were originally recorded as acoustics, you know, just songs by Springsteen, which is um, what basically Nebraska is. Mm. And... Um, uh, so, and he originally, you know, um, intended Nebraska, the songs that were on Nebraska to be a, an E street album, but many of those songs he felt that were just, th- th- these are better with just me and acoustic guitar. And so we're going to talk more about that album next week, but there were a number of songs that he, that took from those sessions that recorded with the E street band that he felt were better as rocking songs. And that's what this was. So there was actually a session called the electric Nebraska sessions, which were, which some of the, uh, the recordings that you hear on this record came from, um, yeah. So, uh, so the, really the ones that made Nebraska were kind of the ones that he felt were too personal to be a full band version. So, uh, the majority of the songs recorded during this time, uh, was, was basically everything except Bobby Jean, no surrender, dancing in the dark in my hometown. Those were songs that were um, written and recorded uh, later. Dancing in the dark was actually written overnight at the last minute. Um, John Landau, who was Springsteen's producer and manager, 
told Springsteen that he needed a single. He's like, you know, which was shocking because of all the singles that came out of this. He's like, hey, you need your song, your album doesn't have a single here. And Springsteen got kind of pissed because he had written like 80 other songs. Um, he's like, and he was like, you, why don't you go write a song? But he ended up going home that night and wrote Dancing in the Dark, which became his biggest selling. I think that was his biggest single ever. I'm always um, amazed when somebody can write yeah. a song overnight. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then have it be that massive, right, <laughs> yeah. um, and that good. So um, he did consider releasing "Born in the USA" as a double album in conjunction with Nebraska, and he also had several other ideas for out for an album that included a variety of different ways of mixing the different songs that he had. So uh, and, and most of those ideas he ended up scrapping. So it's part of the reason why it took so long for him to come up to with this is just because he had so much going on, so many different songs. Not exactly, you know, one idea. Let's make this album. No, let's go this direction. So a lot of uh, indecisiveness uh, before he finally decided on this album. So Nebraska Nebraska and Born in the USA are pretty much like sprung from all the same material, it sounds like. Yes, from the same same writing sessions, essentially. Yes, correct. Um, Although they sound very different (laughs) sonically. Uh, the album cover was shot by famed Rolling Stone uh, photographer Andy Leibovitz. And some people thought that the cover, I never heard of this before, but some people thought that the cover depicted Springsteen urinating on the American flag. <laughs> uh, Springsteen said he, he denied it. He says that was unintentional. We took a lot of different types of pictures. And in the end, the picture of my ass looked better than the picture of my face. That's what went on the cover. I don't have any secret message. I don't do that very much. So he's not peeing on the flag. Um, I never once thought that. Yeah, I didn't either. But apparently that was something (laughs) that people were saying that he was doing. So, you know, whatever. Uh, This was another interesting fact. This became the first compact disc that was manufactured in the United States for CBS. Um, And and, uh, when when Sony and CBS and Sony opened up their CD manufacturing plant in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, previously to this, uh, Columbia Records uh, CDs were manufactured in Japan. So there's a fun trivia fact for you there. Uh, Springsteen actually has mixed feelings about the album. He believes that Nebraska can't contain some of his strongest writing, uh, but Born in the USA didn't necessarily follow suit. He said that the title track more or less stood by itself, uh, but the rest of the album contains a group of songs about which I've always had some ambivalence. So uh, maybe he's not as high on this as others might have been. Uh, but describing that, but despite this, he also acknowledges the powerful effect that it had on his career, uh, claiming that quote, born in the USA changed my life and gave me my largest audience. It forced me to question the way I presented my music and made me think harder about what I was doing. Uh, the song born in the USA is also known as one of the most misunderstood songs of all time. As we, I think we've talked about this before. It was used Mm -hmm. by Ronald Reagan, Pat Buchanan, other, you know, <laughs> conservative politicians, George Will, conservative writer, you know, was, was was singing its praises as well. Focusing, this is kind of like if Matt was like a politician, <laughs> I, I'd be like, oh, Border of the USA is super, you know, uh, patriotic and it, it's wonderful to be in America. And then you dig a little deeper and you go, yeah, not so much. It's, it's, it's actually the opposite of that. So conservatives um, loving yeah. Bruce Springsteen's music is always one of my favorite things all together it's like the whole a whole group of people who are matt like (laughs) yeah pretty much it's the matt equivalent of the music fan yeah yeah um other fun fun fact here cover me the second track on the record was originally written for donna summer uh, but john landau saw that yeah he saw that it had a potential uh hit potential and he convinced springsteen to keep it so instead springsteen wrote the song protection 
instead. And I can't Donna even Summer. fathom Donna Summer singing that song. Mm. Like I can't in my head think about what that would sound like if Donna Summer yeah. sang. Well, that, she so. did. She did record a song called "Protection" that was written by Springsteen, and Springsteen performs the guitar solo on it, I believe, mm. as well. I listened okay. to it; it's pretty good. Um, it does sound like a Springsteen song. So, if you kind of want to know what that would be like, John, you can you can check that song out. That might give you a little bit of a yeah. Ooh, okay, um, homework. So the other kind of thing that's interesting here with I'll, I have just a slight uh, kind of thing afterwards because I think this is the last time we're covering Springsteen in a in a bio episode so I'll do a little ep- epilogue here but uh, also note right before I believe this album was released uh, or sometime in that around that time the guitarist uh, Stevie Van Zant left the band to form his own to do his own uh, band I guess um, so he he leaves and that's what the song Bobby Jean was about was about. Uh, the, a lot of people say that that's about Stevie Van Zant uh, talking and, and Springsteen kind of saying his goodbyes to mm. Van Zant through that song. So, uh, so yeah, monster album here, and I believe it's John's turn to go first. What do you think here, John? Oh boy, I have a lot. So first of all, like I'm going to say all kinds of bold things, right? Like <laughs> I. I don't even think it's a question that this is Bruce Springsteen's best album. Like for me, Uh, to me, it takes everything that's good about Bruce Springsteen and cuts out all the shit I hate. Right. Like, and like Bruce Springsteen, I admire, but like at his core, he like, he's a, he's a guy that does a thing. Right. And you could do it however you want, but like he writes about the same type of things in the same type of ways and working class. And like this to me, I have never understood this idea that this is like this weaker work of Bruce. I, I think it's total bullshit. Like I, I can appreciate some of the seventies, but like I, I'm listening to this album and I'm like, this is a very enjoyable album and it's everything I like about Bruce Springsteen. And it's not the eight minutes too long and just the too much, too excessive, too many solo, you know, just nonsense, right? Like it, it almost is charming. Even the stuff that I kind of, like joke about with Springsteen, like the and I mean, like I'm gonna also do something, guys, right here, because I'm gonna I'm gonna debut something that I haven't done in a long time. This is this is my most like. There's other songs that are like the ultimate Springsteen experience, you know. There's like uh, "Prove It All Night" and like mm-hmm. "The River" and songs like that. But is there any more? Like, there's a couple songs on here that are like great, like things of like Springsteen, kind of funny. But like, is there a more Bruce Springsteen song than "Downbound Train"? Like, it's like the ultimate like <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Na- like, I, I just like, I, I just that like I had a job, I had a girl, I had something going in this world. I got laid off down at the lumberyard. I love when bad times got hard. Now I work down at the car wash where all it ever does is rain. Don't you feel like you're a rider on a downbound train? Like, that's like, the, that's like Bruce Spring. You know what I mean? I'm just laughing. It's like, it's yeah, all it's the, the fucking cliches. Yep. But wrote, wrote Hooky where like, if you're Matt, right, you could listen and go, wow. And he, I also love the fact that Matt picked downbound train because I was like, of course Damn he did, right. because right did. it's like he'll he'll extol the virtues, and it's both great and also hilariously cliche. Bruce yeah. Springsteen at the same time, which is like what "Born in the USA" is. It's great and hilariously cliche. Bruce Springsteen. It's this gleaming pop album that also is still ridiculously depressive lyrically. <laughs> it's like there's so many yes. so, like glory days is basically like yeah, you're a dark. washed up nostalgia. Yeah. It's like all fucking people I hate, right? People sitting yeah. in a bar fucking t- and they're not even buying their own bullshit, right? Like it's that. There's all of these love songs 
songs on here that like it's almost like you endure with someone or you're looking to like survive this awful world but not in a way where you transcend it right it's like you're gonna cover me or even like you know the like I'm on fire is almost like you're you're asking an apology for like getting intimate and stuff. I mean, there's just it's like all the things, and I'm like listening to this, and I'm laughing. It's you talked about misunderstood more than USA, of course, and so that's you know a very depressing song, and you know it's just it's so funny because you listen to this, and if you're not a lyrics guy, right, it's like wow, Bruce is too shimmery, and, and like he's every bit as hard hitting as he is uh, lyrically, you know, and every bit as cliched. By the way, it's like it's all of the things that are Springsteen, but. With that being said, like, it's great. It's it's by far my favorite Bruce Springsteen album. And, like, I know I'm supposed to, like, pretend that it's not because that doesn't make me sophisticated to say it. Or it, like, became kind of a thing to, like, shit on this album a little bit. And, like, I don't get it because, like, this is clearly, like, it's just so superior to his other albums to me. And, like, it's... It's not that those albums were bad or anything. It's just like this is to me where he found the secret sauce. Yep. And it's why it sold all the albums. And it's why it's his most it's his most important album, like by a ton. Uh it's also like an album that like if you were going to introduce something to the widest section of people to understand why Bruce Springsteen is a huge artist, I think there's this idea that like Born to Run is what makes Bruce Springsteen a big artist. It isn't. It's this album. This is the album that is Bruce Springsteen. Like, you can kind of redo the the narrative, right? But, like, this is the dude who, like, he continues to tell the story about the people in Jersey, right? That, like, I always yep. talk about that I know. But this is, like, when, like, everybody got it. <laughs> like, they, they got it, you know what I mean? And kind of, like, everybody was connected at the same time with Springsteen. And to some degree, like, everything in his life is, like, leading up to Born in the USA and then it's a reaction to Born in the USA. And so, yeah, this is, like, a, a huge thumbs up. And, and when you can take the stuff that makes me eye roll about Springsteen and tone it in and still get it. And I almost can, you know, smile as I listen to some of the lyrics, like I just sang right there, but I still enjoy it as a package. Like that's the legacy of Born in the USA. And that's why it's the album that if you want to sell me on Bruce Springsteen, this is where to start. Like, I don't get me wrong. We're going to talk Nebraska. I love it. There's clips all along the way and, you know, you can stuff, but like the the Thunder Road, the the Born in the U.S. or excuse me, the uh, Born to Run, the Jungle Land stuff, it's fine, but it's all so excessive that it ultimately becomes an eye roll for me. Right? This is where it doesn't become an eye roll for me mm. ever, and that's the lasting legacy of this. It's just it's Bruce Springsteen as Michael Jackson, like yep. in pop, which, and that's what this is. And it's I know some people will say that's a horrible thing, right? But this to me is the like ultimate manifestation of the same guy who can do that stuff, but can also write songs for Patti Smith, you know, can write songs for Donna Summer, you know, and all these different people. So uh, yeah, big thumbs up for me. This, this is my Springsteen album and I don't give a shit if people say, then you don't know. Spr I know plenty about Springsteen. This is, this is the Springsteen album. So there's I, my I, takeaway. I find it incredible that there'd be a backlash on this album because I, I agree with you. This is like the apex epitome of a Bruce Springsteen album. You know, years ago, I remember telling you guys through text that this album is like a perfect album. <laughs> it hasn't changed. My opinion has not changed on it. There are so many 
freaking good songs on this album. Over half of the album is singles, which is incredible. And and uh, it's everything that we've listened to leading up to it with like this polish, this pop polishing uh, on it. And it, it completely works for me. And it, get, it gets me every time I sing along to every song on this album. I I love Downbound Train. I'm glad you picked it in the montage. It's one of my favorite Springsteen songs. And it's just him firing on all cylinders. I mean, clearly, if he's writing like 80 songs, then you, you've got a fire under you in some way that I could never, never have. Um, he feels a bit more freewheeling on this album in some way. Like he's having a bit more fun, it sounds like. You know, he went through, you know, Darkness on the Edge of Town and and the river kind of a bit more depressing. I think he was in a dark place, as we've said on the bio, and I feel like he's a bit freer on this in some in some ways. The Like John said, the working class mythos is all over this album. Uh, that doesn't change. I feel like the structures of the songs are pretty straightforward and, and uh, formulaic, but not in a bad way. You know, the title of the song is almost always in the chorus, and every song is something that you can sing along to uh the story driven nature of his songs is here again and uh that works just like what john sang but also in darlington county and uh working on a highway and uh, and glory days they're all they're all telling these these uh slices of life can i add one thing real quick that that goes along with that josh like Mm -hmm. the clear two themes on this album are like like relationship like relationships that are like desperate relationships mixed with nostalgia and you could tell he's older in this because a lot of stuff covers nostalgic themes like whereas before it was like when i was a kid nostalgic themes now it's like looking back at a earlier time Mm -hmm. like but from the it's not just when you're a teenager, a kid, right? You're looking back at like this, the totality of your life is a lot, whether it be my hometown or no surrender or glory days, it's Darlington. There's all kinds of that. So I just wanted to add that in there yeah. too, that that's a theme. Yep. And the, and the music itself is, is great. I think the E street band is, is as great as always on here. They, there's a testament to like the pounding of a snare drum that works so well in a song like Born in the USA and then comes back and they use that same uh, drum and I'm going down and it's a different song, but it, it works. You add hand claps to I'm going down and you've got me hook, line and sinker uh, on that. The um, There's wailing guitar on songs like Cover Me. They, they intersperse things like organ and and uh and piano and other instruments throughout and that works for me and then you know dancing dancing in the dark is so unlike every other song in that it's got this synth kind of beat to it and but that also really works and um it's you know there's a reason that's probably one of his most popular songs and um there's some repetition on um on these songs a lot in terms of, you know, he repeats refrains a lot. The chorus is often repeated a lot. And I think that adds to the sing, singability of, of the songs. There's no, no complex lyrics or, or metaphors here in terms of word choice. Um, they're, they're easy to understand or 
apparently not since so many people used born in the USA the wrong way but um you know what I'm saying the the themes are apparent it's it's a simple in a uh you know in a in a blue collar way I guess in terms of uh content and uh I mean I love this album so I I don't have anything bad bad to say about it every song on here is good for me except maybe bobby jean that's the first week song and that's like two-thirds of the way through so you uh it's it's hit after hit for me it's it's a hit factory i love it so i have an interesting relationship with this record because this was the first um t- time that i was ever aware of springsteen you know mm. when i remember this coming out uh, my my parents had it uh I don't remember if they had, I think they had it on record. I don't think they had it on CD, but I remember them having it. I remember seeing the, some of the videos, particularly like Dancing in the Dark and uh, I'm on Fire, Born in the USA. I remember hearing that song all the time. And I, I I wasn't a huge Springsteen fan or anything, you know, as a kid growing up, it was mostly, you know, synth, you know, synth pop, like Duran Duran or like uh, hair metal really is really kind of what I was like really into. Um, and so I kind of dismissed it. You know, I was just like, what I was born, you know, born in the USA. And then when I started getting into Springsteen, it was when I was being introduced to those earlier records like Darkness on the Edge of Town and Thunder and uh, Thunder Road and uh, Born to Run mm-hmm. and The River and those albums. And that's where I was kind of like, oh, man, this is like. You know, and it's kind of like under this uh, impression that this is re- this is the real good spring, like the early '70s Springsteen stuff is yeah. really where it's at. The real, um, the real, yeah, quote unquote, right, real. right. You know, and I kind of was just I was there, and then I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was I don't. Know, it's probably like it's one of those things that doesn't seem that long ago, but it was probably like twelve years ago or something now. But I was at my um, I was at my friend's house, and he was just playing. My friend Brian was just we were outside on his patio, and he had like outside speakers. We we're just having some beers, just hanging out in the summer, and he had the sun, and like half talking through, about the old times, Matt. Halfway, <laughs> uh, we probably at some times we were, but he had this on, and like halfway through it, I'm just like realizing, damn, this is like one great song after another, and I was like, what is like, what did, what do you play? He's like, this is the this is. I, I thought it was just like a mix, and then I yeah. realized it was like <laughs> yeah. this is born in the U.S. This is the album front to back, and I just remember kind of being floored that I. I, that I had slept on it or that I just had dismissed it or that I had forgotten or just never really gave it, paid it any mind. And then when I listened to it again, I was just like, holy crap, similar reaction to you guys. It's just, this is, this is polished. This is catchy. This is, uh, it's just great chord progressions. And that's like a song like Downbound Train. That, that chord progression is just, it's got that minor key chord progression, very simple, very effective. I'm going down to is another song that's got a similar thing. I was, it was really hard for me to pick which songs to put <laughs> yeah. on the montage. You know what I mean? Like I've uh, cover me is a great song as well. Like, um, and even the songs that like aren't as don't stand out as like, Oh, that's, that's one of the top songs on here for me, which is something like maybe working on the highway, Bobby Jean, Darlington County. They're all still really freaking good songs. Right. And then you've got songs like I'm on fire, which is like, it, it kind of, that's a song that stands out to me um, mm-hmm. on this because it's just, it's you know that's a really interesting song because it's so quiet and 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 he's holding back but the lyrics you know are anything but that you know so it's and I as occasionally do pay attention to lyrics but I can pick out like the juxtaposition here and there and that's one of the cool things about that song um, is just how it's 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 saying so much so powerfully but it's done so in a, such a reserved way that it's um. 
that it's unique. You know, that that's the reason why that's one of the more popular songs on the record. But yeah, um, it's really hard. Like I, I fluctuate between when I say favorite Springsteen albums between this and uh, and Born to Run because I I do like Over the Top Springsteen. I, I've I've accepted it. I don't care. I get why it causes eye rolls for some people, but it's just the music is so there for me in so many ways that it's that I don't care. Um, I think this is probably more consistent though. I think that this probably has more songs that I like than. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple songs on Born to Run that I'm like, okay, you know, I like they're okay, right? But I don't, I don't feel that on this. I feel like every song on here, I, 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 re- I either love or I really, really like. So I guess like if you're gonna look at it like that, this is probably de facto my favorite Springsteen record. But right. this, uh, I, I, I love the pop nature of it. I, it's got a little bit of the '80s uh, stank on it, but that's okay um, because it's done, it's done really well. It's not, it's not slathered all over the place where you just hear it and you go, okay, this is like a clear '80s song. It's, it's done tactfully, right? It's done little, mm-hmm. little hint of the '80s. But it's but the but the the essence of the song is still very much Springsteen. It's still very much rock and roll, and it's just. But it's it's done. It's a very polished pop way, and um, and I love it as well. Does mean that also that they hit the the album stop two and a half minutes earlier than they did on all the other albums that thus bring them into like uh, uh, that? You know what I'm saying? Like, is that part of it, no, what, or is it what more do you mean the album the stop? I just mean like I was joking. It's kind of like I look at it as like one of the big things besides the sheen is the fact that instead of going into like freewheeling, you know, mm. Clarence going yeah. fifty minutes on the soul, you know mm-hmm. thing and stuff like that, which I know is something you just like. It just was so noticeable how they stopped before they did oh. that, and I was like, all right, nice. Now, and like it just made me enjoy the song so much more. So like, oh, all right, yeah, and, and for me, well, I think yeah. I, I, it's, I was talking more about like there's like the synth, the use of the synthesizer on here, like okay. the opening synthesizer, born in the yeah. USA, has a yes. little bit of the eighty stank, mm-hmm. right? And that was like improvised and and like Max Weinberg's uh, drumming, you know, which were, yeah. I mean, they, the, the production choice that were made were very yeah, I'm on fire and, is a very 80s song yeah but. but it's but it's also not like we just did Cindy Lauper and there was some stuff on that that was like wow this is really 80s right where this is like this is a little little light 80s you know mm-hmm. um but I, I love this as well I think that this is uh, and I was just I, I don't know if I did a 180 but this was an album that I had just forgotten about or cast aside because it wasn't like I said the real Springsteen that I was you know was like picking up on you know as I started getting into him but when I got into this man it, it hit me like a ton of bricks so a uh, huge fan of this record I'm with both of you guys this is going to be high on my list again and uh, it's just yeah no bad songs at all and just um, all killer no filler so um I, I agree. I think this is uh, this or the Violent Femmes are probably my favorite albums of the week, and I liked Synchronicity too. So this yeah. is like the rare week where it's like to me like three really standout albums. It sure was. I promised a friend of mine. We do not need to expand on this, but my friend dared me to bring up this question, so I'll bring it up for future reference. His so I full disclosure: the friend who said this to me was a member of one of the groups that will be referenced in this but he said is there an artist who has a more large disconnect by how much their white fans love him and how much everybody else ignores him than bruce springsteen (laughs) and i said wow that's a loaded question but also i thought about it so we don't have to go there but like i was like because i was talking about how much i love this album to him and he said yeah yeah is that like you know 
And I said, yeah, man, it's, it, it's gigantic and stuff like that. He goes, yeah, I, you know, I know the basics and stuff. <laughs> I go, well, what's, and this is a guy who listens to a lot of music, right? And I was like, well, what do you know about? He's like, ah, uh, you know, I know he's, yeah, he's, I'm sure he's fine and stuff. He goes, you gotta, he was like, nobody I know listens to him. I'm like, well, that's almost in, unfathomable for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like even, even people I know who don't like Bruce Springsteen, like my mom, who every time he comes in, puts her hand in her throat. You know what I mean? Even though we're from New Jersey, that that's kind of her take on Springsteen kind of like, ugh. it's like, she looks at him as like all the working class, like stereotype of New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like kind of as a song sort of, <laughs> but you know, would know zillions of songs. Right. So right. I just thought that was an interesting comment. That's Cause then I started thinking, I'm like, God, I don't even know what I would say. Cause we talked about that in reverse, right. Where we said like, you know, Luther Vandross, right. Is like this mm-hmm. huge within one community. And yet kind of like, is, as you guys both said, like, I don't know anything about this guy. And it's like, well, he sold like 6 million, <laughs> you know? And then we talked yeah. about, we also talked about like, uh, you know, new order, right. And how like yeah. you guys were like, I don't know. So I was just thinking of that and I was like, wow, that's, that's another lane, right? Like to us, it would be like, well, of course born in the USA is huge, but then it's like, yeah, I didn't really listen to it, you know, for someone who listens to a lot of music yeah. and it's, yeah. Hmm. So, that's so. a funny question. Yeah, I, I just thought that was funny. If, yeah. if it's not him, he's probably up there. Yeah. Right? Because um, I've been to plenty of Springsteen shows, and um, it's not very diverse. No. <laughs> no. That's, and that's that. why I started laughing, because I've been seeing yeah. him a couple of times. I never really thought about it, but I started thinking, I'm like, mm, he might be on to something. So. And then I, but I'm yeah. thinking like other artists that are really big, like somebody like Elton John, you yeah. know, but like uh, he seems like he's got like a little bit more – I don't know. I don't want to say funk or something like that, but there's, I don't know. Maybe there's something that maybe crosses genres a little Cross bit more than, 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 yeah, potentially. Well, had, yeah, I don't think it's Bruce like, Springsteen himself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think he'd be open to it. I just think for whatever reason, his sensibility. No, his music. Are, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, but it sounds like we, well, for, <laughs> for three white dudes in their forties, we love <laughs> yeah. this record. So I didn't mean uh, to know. go there. I just thought yeah. it was funny as I'm talking about. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like three uh, thumbs up there. So, yeah. um, couple other things, just uh, touch points here, because, yeah, I think we're, we'll do Nebraska next week, and then I think we're done with uh, with the boss, uh, unless we mm. throw in a cold take but um, or a cold listen later on, because he's sticking around. I mean, he still he just mm-hmm. did an album last year or something. So uh, he did uh, – uh, this... I'm going to take a guess, though. Yeah. Rolling Stone gave it four stars, Matt. I'll, spo- I'll do a spoiler alert for you. Well, just, yeah. yeah. I, well, Rolling Stone, <laughs> no, they probably gave it five, John, is my five, guess. Okay, five. Uh, yeah, sorry, they do, they go up to yeah. five. Yeah. Um, so he, after this, he released, uh, I mean, he did a tour behind this, which was massive. It grossed like $90 million or something Jeez. like that. Um, he, uh, he then released the release tunnel of love in 1987, um, and then disbanded the E street band. So that was when he started in the early nineties. He did, uh, that's when he did human touch and lucky town, the two albums that were released at the same time. Um, he did the ghost of Tom Joad. And so he's really, this is the last, uh, Springsteen well, you album. You skipped the, tunnel of love, right? Wasn't that? No, I said tunnel love. Oh, I you did. That. Okay. I missed yep. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, so, so Born in the USA is actually the last East album that he did with the E Street Band until The Rising in, in 2002. Oh, wow. um, and that was when, you know, and he, he had started to reform the, the E Street Band. He started touring with them in the late 90s. I actually saw one of those shows. That was my first Springsteen show was in 99 in Philadelphia. So, um, so he did bring the E Street Band back. And really since then, it's kind of been like back and forth, you know, releasing albums with the E Street Band or releasing albums without them. But he's, uh, he's, done, a, he's done a number of other albums. He's got 20 total uh, studio albums. 
and um, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999. And uh, the E Street Band, I've looked up, I'm like, well, was the E Street Band inducted? And they, they were not, but they sub- were subsequently in uh, 2014. So now hmm. Springsteen and the E Street Band are all in um, the Rock and Roll Hall they of Fame. They were inducted by themselves? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure well, Springsteen keep, was there keep, for it. Keep but, in yeah. mind the demographics, Josh, in yeah. terms of like who runs that. So, yeah. So, uh, so Springsteen still tour. He actually just, uh, a bunch of tickets just went on sale and I'm going to be seeing him again in March for like, I don't know, the eighth or ninth time or something like that. Uh, that was also, if you guys saw, that was a big controversy because he started this, I guess with Ticketmaster, it was this like real time ticket pricing situation where it was basically like there was an algorithm that was calculating the supply and demand of the tickets <laughs> at the time and so therefore like people would go on to find tickets and find that they couldn't get anything under like a thousand dollars or something stupid just like, like the so, working man yeah. yeah yeah so people exactly so they're like hey bruce how is the working man supposed to afford your shows and stuff so um, i was lucky enough to get on early enough where i wasn't playing paying a ridiculous amount of money it was still high but i will be going again in march so uh, i am excited you know to see it because uh, he puts on a great show You'll have no to... retreat, baby, no surrender. <laughs> Hell yeah, another, that's another, another good song. song that could be on like a Rocky soundtrack. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> that was I read that that was John Kerry's uh, campaign song uh, in two thousand. <laughs> so, but Oof. oddly enough, he did have to surrender. He did <laughs> to the yeah. Viet Cong, to the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and to George Bush. <laughs> oh boy. Lots of jokes. All right. Well, we have. This has been a hell of a fun episode, I think, and I've enjoyed it. Um, I do think it's coming to a close. But before we go, as always, we want to run down next week's albums, and it is a cold listen, hot take, which is always a cornucopia of styles. Uh, Matt, why don't you run down what we're covering next week? All right. So as we already mentioned, we'll be covering. So all these albums are from 1982, and as we mentioned, one of them will be Nebraska by Bruce mm-hmm. Springsteen. Uh, we're going to be covering Dire Straits again with Love Over Gold. Grandmaster Flash, Flash with The Message. Uh, nice. oh, there's that, that hip-hop we were talking yeah, about. Yep. There you go. Uh, John's favorite, Kate Bush with The Dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, another Bad Creation. I guess they were around in 1982. No, this is ABC, another oh. ABC. Um, <laughs> lexic- lexicon of Love. I'm assuming that's not another Bad Creation. because It is I not, no. I don't think they were born then. Oh, boy, and we're getting madness again with The Rise and Fall. So uh, let's see if uh, let's see more ska. Maybe that's maybe it is not a ska album. It is not a ska album. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Spoiler alert. It is not a ska album. Okay. So Mm -hmm. that's the uh, that's the albums. Glad hip hop's finally here in our lives. Is that the first official hip hop record that we're covering? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think (laughs) so. Yeah, for sure. And it begins the. I have my industrial pilgrimage that's going to go on, which is going to be an interesting three-decade journey. And I joke, I think it's going to be, we've joked that it's going to be the Matt hip-hop tour, right? Like the award tour, if you will. So Tribe Called Quest style. So I will be interested to see you follow it, Matt. I think I know that song. I think I have the message. I've heard that before. I mean, so. of course you have. I would. Yeah. One of the best lyrics that broke a glass everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, so for Matt and Josh, This is John signing off. We will see you next week. Combing the Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CombingThe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.